This is the Portland Firefighters Association Senior Firefighter Podcast. I'm Joseph Keenest. In this series, I host high-performing Portland Fire and Rescue members who talk about their insights, experiences, and lessons learned. In the American Fire Service, these men and women have historically been known as the senior firefighter or the senior man. What makes a senior man? As my guests demonstrate, it has nothing to do with time on the job, rank, or gender, and everything to do with a winning mindset, technical mastery, character, and a commitment to self-improvement and mentorship. These long-form conversations are far-ranging, but center around two core themes, the roles and responsibilities of senior firefighters and the dynamics of mental performance on the fire ground. This project would not be possible without the help of Kyle McLowry, and thank you to Local 43 for providing the recording equipment and studio. Without further introduction, let's start the conversation. All right, so today we've got Jason Stensgard. Jason, thanks for coming in. You're up. Thanks for having me. I think every stress response you just described is what I experienced on the way. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It means you want to do a good job. Oh, man, but I'm I don't, super I don't excited. See, I don't see how you couldn't. This is fantastic. I yeah. Just... Like we talked earlier, yeah, this is, I feel like a long time coming and good. Yeah. yeah. Super, super excited to be here and thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Um, you know, just like Chris and, you know, most of the people that we have confirmed coming up, I mean, you're absolutely on that short list of people mm -hmm. I was hoping that would come in and talk and, uh, you know, certainly your personality and the intersection between your, your passion and, you know, who you are as a person and, um, getting to know you, I think it's a it's a perfect fit for what we want to talk about. Appreciate that. So yeah, thank you for having yeah. me. Now. Well, let's better. start easy, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we'll get, it, we'll get it to the we'll hard stuff later we'll on. Up from there. That's yeah. right. Uh, we'll start slow and we'll taper off from there. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. <clears throat> where did you Where did you grow up? Where are you from? Uh, I grew up in Lagrand, Oregon. So I was actually born in Seattle. My mom is like a OG native Legrand, Oregon. And so when my mom and dad split up, we moved back to Legrand. So that was right at the, basically my first grade year. Okay. So from first grade on, I lived in Legrand. Yeah. Yeah. Were you, it was at like urban Seattle neighborhood to, I don't really remember a okay. whole lot. I was pretty young, Yeah. you know, but yeah, it was, I think, um, I, if I remember right, it was like, neighborhood not like downtown seattle we were more like in bremerton or yeah, yeah, one mm -hmm. of those other mm -hmm. gotcha. suburbs of the okay of the big city like yeah that for sure what did your what did your parents do for work so my mom she was a flight attendant for united for a number of years and it was just back in the day so when you couldn't be pregnant and still work <laughs> like it was back in those yeah. days right yeah. so when uh she was pregnant with my older brother then she obviously had to leave United Airlines or whatever. I'm not sure how they worked yeah. that all out, but and my dad was in the airlines as well. He worked for Continental, at okay, the time, and then ended up going on to Boeing or whatever else and stuff. Okay. So, yeah, and like I said, they split up, and then we moved to Legrand, and uh -huh. that's where my whole fam mom's side of the family is. Okay, my grandma, my great grandma, my aunts, yeah. uncles, cousins, everybody was mm -hmm. there. The whole support structure. Yeah. So you have brothers and sisters. I have an older brother. Yeah, yeah. Chad. He yeah. is a lieutenant with Portland Police. Yeah, we know him. So yep. yeah, a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of people have run into him throughout the years. Whether he was a, you know, uh, an officer in in 
at Central Precinct, and then he promoted to sergeant and was a sergeant at Central and went to North and then went back to Central, and now he's a lieutenant up in North uh-huh. and stuff. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sports? Hobbies? What were you yeah, I played baseball all through, basically all through my childhood. Okay. And, uh, I, <laughs> yeah, um, it was fun. I had a great time. Yep, played football up until, well— just a little league football, you know, that what is that optimist football is what we called it okay. and stuff. But I was tiny. Like I was just yeah. this little, I remember, dude, I got this really funny story. <laughs> One of my only memories, it was playing middle school football and we were playing Pendleton and Pendleton's always, when I was in there, it was the big rival. LeGrand okay. and Pendleton were the two big rivals. And I remember it was eighth grade football. And they did a reverse, and I was, and I was only in there for one play, right? Because I was just like this tiny little guy. <laughs> I, I was terrible. And they did a reverse, and I stayed in my spot. And this kid, it was just mono y mono, <laughs> and he flat ran me over. <laughs> it was just. I remember uh, holding on for dear life, and he's dragging me uh, down the yeah. field, you know, just some big farm kid. Nice, you know, just yeah. dragging me down. Corn fed Pendleton. Corn fed Pendleton. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah. super funny, and that basically ended my football yeah. career. But um, <laughs> maybe football's not for me. Yeah, <laughs> so I stuck with baseball and played baseball, and then um, yeah, I actually ended up getting a talent award out there at Pacific and stuff for oh, baseball nice. and stuff. Nice. So okay, yeah, but I don't know. It was I didn't end up not I ended up not playing out there at Pacific. It was like it's funny how relatable like Chris's story is with yeah. interesting yeah. baseball and like I was good in. Uh, like I was, I had good grades. I was, I liked school. Okay. Um, opposite of what he said, but yeah. I was, I felt like I had, you know, I had a really good GPA and I was just like an okay baseball player. I yeah. felt like, you know, but there was, uh, my brother ended up going to Pacific ahead of time and the, uh, baseball coach at the time, um, I went and visited him when I went and visited my brother one time. And so, um, he, I actually ended up getting a talent award to play baseball there. And so then he actually retired. A new coach came in, and I was just like, I'm not really kind of into this. Mm. You know, it's kind of – I went through the tryouts, and I'm like, ah, I'm going to focus on something else. And actually they were able to move my talent award into more of an academic thing. Huh. So, Oh, interesting. So yeah. did you stay at Pacific? Then? I did, yeah. I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in – business management there okay <laughs> had a optometry physical therapy school why wouldn't you get a business <laughs> management degree there right <laughs> so yeah. yeah so you pivoted from baseball more towards academics yeah and i did okay in college it's not like i was some kind of a maggot or cum laude yeah or something like yeah. that yeah, yeah yeah i did okay but you've always liked school always like yeah learning. i always enjoyed school i wasn't yeah. an individual that hated going to class and mm-hmm. this and that and you know it's funny because i remember there's certain things that really kind of stick out in your life. I feel like that kind of can shape the direction of, and, um, like all my friends, my closest friends growing up, they were all super good at school as well. Yeah. And so it's like, that's, I just was in with them kind yep. of deal and you kind of want to keep up with them. And, but I remember in, um, sixth grade, I had this teacher and he said, we're not going to put you. So they all went to like some kind of accelerated math. Uh huh. And he's like, you're not good enough to go there. <laughs> and I remember it was like one of those decisions. Wow. Like I can either sit down and take a seat and be like, okay, I guess I'll go to this other math class or I can step up my game, which is kind of weird at that age. Like, yes, 
and I said, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. And I actually ended up going in and not just being okay at math, but I was actually pretty good at oh, math. Oh, wow. Like, I excelled into, I would, they put me into that program basically expecting me to fail almost. Yeah. But then I was it actually thrived. So it was kind of interesting. That would be it all, amazing to just will yourself to be better at math. Well, I was just like, <laughs> right? I don't know how it even happened because uh, I just, for whatever reason, something clicked and it was just like. Well, you put the work in, sounds like. Fuck, I, I don't know. It was yeah. just like, for whatever reason, I don't know if just that little motivation of like, you can't do this. It was mm-hmm. like, <laughs> oh yeah, watch me, yeah, kind of deal. So yeah, has that uh, played a part? Oh yeah, dude, that's, I think that's kind of <laughs> shaped my. That was my next question. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, it's definitely played into current day and still yeah. probably does. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I grew up in Lagrand. Uh, my family's all. My mom still lives over there. My aunt, cousins, they all still live there. Uh, I go back there quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's funny growing up because I felt like I kind of took it for granted living over there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wait to just yeah. get out. And now it's like, I can't wait to go back. Yeah. Like, it's just how awesome yeah. it is. And I don't know the lifestyle they have, the environment, the just everything over there is, yeah. is very soothing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. yeah. How did you um, learn about the fire service? Oh, crazy. So after I graduated high school... At that time, in 1994, when I graduated high school, everybody did wildland. Like, that was just kind of your natural progression. You go get your red card, and you do wildland, whether it's for a contract crew, for the ODF, for the state forestry. And that's just what you do, right? Not everybody, but a large majority Mm -hmm. of the people, right? We had a lot of fires over there at, you know, in Oregon and stuff. And so um, I was actually working at a gas station, and my baseball coach came in. And had said, hey, I work at the Oregon Department of Forestry during the summers. Would you want to come be a part of that? And I was like, well, I just happened to went in like two weeks before that. went through the Forest Service program Mm -hmm. to get my red card. I was going to work at the the gas station owner had private contract engines. I was going to work on his. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So I went there, got hired on at the ODF and uh, did that for three years, three summers, it was like one of those deals where it's like, I need to do something more. I'm seeing my other buddies now are on hotshot crews and they're making way more money. They're right. traveling the country. They're okay. going to Alaska, Indiana, California, you know, all these, whereas I'm stuck here in Legrand, just mm. waiting for something to burn, right? Mm-hmm. It was awesome. I had a fantastic time, ODF. I met some of my lifelong best friends, but still hang out with them but then i was like i needed something more and so i um got hired on on the union hot shots and i did that for four years uh on the hot shot crew and loved it just yeah. absolutely started out number 18 in line yeah like just <laughs> just <laughs> my job was to my whole job i had a pulaski so it's a 20 person hand crew but realistically there's only what, two four six eight probably 12 Oh, 10 to 12 people that are actually digging line. Okay. And uh, so each person has a job, right? If you're lead P, you kind of set the track. You know, if you're a lead sawyer, you have your saw boss that goes out and, you know, sets the flagging of, hey, this is the where we're going to go. Everybody has a job. Mine was to bust the berm <laughs> at the back of the line, right? Because when you're digging, it creates this big berm. Yeah. 
And so that was my sole job as the number 18 Pulaski in, out of 20 in line. <laughs> it was, my whole job was the burn buster. Yeah, fingy. Dude, it was great. I'm just happy that I didn't have the shovel, yeah, right? Because okay. yeah, there yeah. were guys that had that we called it the hot shovel. And you, that's all you do is just scrape with this shovel all day long. And it was just like, thank God, I have a Pulaski. Yeah. And well, so, you know, go ahead. No, it's pretty obvious why you loved it so much. Oh, you know? it, was, it was great, man. It was just straight grunt work. Yeah, it was yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And then the next year I moved up to lead Pulaski, okay. which was pretty exciting. And then the following year I moved up to, I was on the saw squads. So we just cut trees. Nice. And uh, so that was a blast. And then the fourth year uh, they made me a squad leader. So it was, I would, I kind of hated it. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. I didn't enjoy it. I would much rather be on the tools, mm. even, even number 18 in line. I would much rather mm. probably would have done that than, yeah. than be the squad leader. So is the squad leader kind of like the company officer of that group then? Yeah. So kinda... you got divided up. So we rode in these big crew carriers, right? These buggies. And so it'd be the, the superintendent, the foreman would have what's called the chase truck at that time. I think everything's different now, obviously. But then um, they cruised around in a, like a big F-350. And it was the two of them. And then we had one of the crew carriers would be one squad and a second crew carrier would be kind of the second squad. And so the squad would usually consist of a certain number of hand crew diggers and then the other, and a couple sawyers. And so when you got divided up into squads, your squad would go do a certain task and the other squad, and then you'd kind of meet up kind gotcha. of deal. Otherwise, we would all be together accomplishing one goal. But, hey, you guys, we need you to go mop up this section. So there would be like six or eight of you guys that yeah. would go over here and do this. And you would be in charge of them. Yeah. Because your superintendent and your foreman weren't usually around to supervise you. Mm-hmm. It was more the squad leader that was kind of like, okay, you, you know, they would give you the task and then it's like, okay, this is our task. This is our end goal. This is what we need to do. Yeah. Go do it. Mm -hmm. And so then you're in charge of trying to make that happen. Manage them. Yeah. Yeah. Go and wipe in charcoal on (laughs) stumps that you cut in the wilderness. It's like, what are we doing? Right. Because planes overhead would see. Oh, dude, the politics in it was wild. Oh, like gotcha. back okay. in that day, it was huh. pretty crazy. Like in the wilderness, yeah, there would be, well, we don't want people flying overhead to see white tree stumps in the wilderness. So we need you to take this charcoal and put it on the tops of the wow. stumps. It was all perception. It was all perception. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of, hey, we need you to go out 500 yards in the nuked black to put out this one smoke because it's all perspective, mm. you, know, you know, perception. Yeah. So. But yeah, so at that time, like I said, one of my best friends growing up, to lead into your question, one of my best friends growing up, so he was doing wildland as well, but just more of a, on a private contract level. So his mom and my mom were best friends as well. And their family friend, one of, um, it's kind of convoluted, but was a Portland fireman. Okay. And so when my time... At the time, I was uh, uh, got out of college and I was married, and I didn't really. I knew my kind of my. I had a decision that I needed to make: Am I going to make the Forest Service my career, or am I going to try and do a, my business management degree or go into the real world? I guess the real world. I don't want to say scared me, but I just was like, 
I struggled a little bit in that, trying to figure out my path and my journey. Well, my mom's best friend said, and I was living here in Portland at the time, or actually out in Hillsboro on the off season. And my mom's friend said, hey, our friend Jeff Klug is a Portland fireman. Why don't you go do a ride along with him? And I was like, okay. (laughs) I have no idea what to expect. It wasn't like some kind of a multi-generational Hey, this is your yeah. path. This is where you're going. I knew nothing about the the actual city fire service yeah. at all. Like I didn't understand anything. Yeah. So to clarify, you were you working on the hotshot crew in the summers off of school? Yeah. Then okay. Yeah. And then, so, so you go back to school. Yeah. And then that's why you did four years because they were summers after. Yep. So it's a they don't really allow that anymore because the fire seasons have extended so yeah, much. Sure. But back then sure. it was we had a big college like that's majority of what the crews were Mm -hmm. and they would work a certain amount until they had to go back to school and then after a while the two crews it was both legrand and union were housed right next to each other the hotshot crews and uh they would basically at the end of the season would combine the two crews and have one okay yeah but after now, everybody went back to school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, but now it's like the seasons are so long that they just yeah. keep, I think they start now in like April and run through the end of October. If not, you see, you know, year wow. round almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So almost. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite a bit longer yeah. than what I experienced. Yeah. So did you know Jeff at all? Had you met him? I had never you, met okay. him. I had no idea who he was. All I right. was like, I called him. I remember I She's like, hey, just call me super yeah. great, you know, like, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> here, here we go. go. <laughs> right. And so I uh, called him and, you know, introduced myself, told him who I was and what the relation was. And I'm sure Kim and Brian, my buddy Jeff's parents had kind of told, gave him a heads up that I was going to call. And he was super awesome. He was just like, yeah, come on in. And at the time he was working at station 25. Mm-hmm. So that was one first experience just going and experiencing the firehouse, yeah. how many people, you know, eight people there, a truck and an engine. I had no idea. To what year would that have been? It would have think? been 97. Uh, okay. Probably 97, 98, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Cause I, no, that's wrong. 99 or 2000. Okay. I think 2000, somewhere in there, 99, 2000, I'm gonna say cl- probably closer to 2000. And it was like, this is pretty freaking cool, yeah. right? It was a pretty amazing experience. And it was, um, I can't remember what shift he was on, but it was like, you know, like Chris had alluded to, is like those guys at 25s were super senior. Yeah. You know, it was like they had been like Kirk Schaefer, Bob Lemon, you know, those guys, EB, mm-hmm. Gill. They were all there their entire careers almost, right? If yeah. not their entire careers. And so it was amazing to see that camaraderie and that joking because that's what I had experienced on the hotshot crew. Okay. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. They're still doing, I'm very blue collar. And so it was like, this is blue collar work. And I came from blue and I can relate to that. Yeah. Even though the job is completely different. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so once we started going on these, you know, a couple calls and stuff, I was like, holy shit, this is, <laughs> this is where it's at. And so, yeah, I did that right along with Jeff Klug. And Dave Ewan was working there at the time. He, oh. I think he was doing his FTO yeah. at 25s or something. And so, you know, Dave's from LeGrand. And Dave was like this, you know, icon in LeGrand for baseball. Like, mm, he, yes. I remember going and watching right. him play and, like, just a phenomenal 
individual phenomenal athlete. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I knew who Dave was. I don't know if he really kind of knew, probably through association, mm-hmm. knew, you know, who, like I knew, my mom knew his family, his family yeah. probably knew my mom and stuff, you know, and he actually ended up going up to station eight. And I remember asking him, hey, would you mind if I came and did a ride along with you up there at eights? And he was like, yeah, no problem. So I went and did a ride along with him and up there at eights. And it was just a, a light bulb moment. Yeah. Even though 25s was fantastic, I just didn't quite have that light bulb moment yet. But we went on a uh, an apartment fire, and it was clear out in 22's area, but it was like during the 22's had just been remodeled, and they had just like reopened it, I think is what it was. So mm-hmm. they were there for this grant. And literally this apartment fire was two blocks away from their oh, station, no but they couldn't respond because of all the hoopla that the was pageantry. going on. The pageantry. The yeah. pageantry, exactly. Yeah. And so 26 has got there. And I just remember thinking to myself, how do these people know what to do? Like, what does, I don't under, and I was riding on the engine with him and we were in one of those Western states where, you know, you're yeah. the big cowling in the middle yep, and yep. You're, my knees are locked in with like Dave, yeah, you yeah. know, kind of deal. And I'm like, <laughs> right. I don't know. He's like, just stay here, you know, get out with the driver. And it's like, okay, cool. And so I had a lot of questions, but that was the big light bulb moment for me is like, this is what. I meant to do, I think. So, yeah. yeah. Was it a working fire? Yeah. Yeah. It actually oh. was the, I think it was just a, if I remember right, it was a single apartment. Yeah. Second mm-hmm. floor, two story place, single floor, you know, single apartment going good. 26s, you know, got there and knocked the shit out of it, I think, and stuff. Yeah. And then, but it was like the whole progression of it. Like, yes. I didn't understand. Okay, does what does backup line mean? What mm-hmm. does laying in mean? What does how do I how do you know what your job is, right? Because everything's been always very defined for me. You're the berm buster. Yep. This is what you yeah. do. And to see this every like, you know, what you talked about earlier, people just jumping off the rig, it just seemed very chaotic to me, even though it wasn't. Looking back at it now, yeah. Um, it was like fuck, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, it's cool that you got to, doing a ride along too. You got to see the whole, th- it's not like you were walking down the street and saw a fire engine pull up yeah. and put the fire out and then keep walking. You, you, you get to ride there. Yeah. You see how it all goes down. Yeah. You see the overhaul, you see packing the hose yeah, back everything. to the station. The guy's talking about it yeah. and the cleaning up when you get back to this. I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty cool experience. I mean, it was, it was, I don't think the usual ride along experience. Cause usually as you guys know, there's the ride along curse, yep. but, um, it was cool. Yeah. Cause like Wiley Barnett was there at the, at the time. And so he was like, Hey kid, you know, just come on in. I want to show you what we did, how they, you know, made the progression, you know, the whole thing. It was like, just put on my helmet, you know, here you go. And wow. so I got to see that whole, like you said, kind of behind the curtain, look at broke it down how, for you. Yeah. It was yeah. really pretty amazing so then i just kind of did a couple more ride-alongs with klug he got moved he was at station 40 at the time and so i did ride-alongs with him and it was like liz thompson and rj jeff klug and someone else and i think i probably ended up doing like four or five different ride-alongs with them yeah on that same shift same you know yeah and uh yeah that's kind of how i was introduced and then i started testing after that okay were you testing all over or did you have your heart set on Portland? So I tested with Tualatin Valley. I tested with um, Portland and I, that might've been it if I remember right. So I actually got an internship. So one of my buddies 
that I was on the hotshot crew with was a, a part-timer that soon became a full-timer up at Clark County District 12. And then he actually moved to District 6 as a full-time firefighter. But he was actually able to put in some really kind words and, and assist me in getting an internship spot up at District 12, where I did that for a year. And so that kind of got me into, after, you know, like, getting into the 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 pro i don't want to say the program but the process yeah. i should say mm-hmm. and uh those are the guys that kind of hey you should start testing all these different places because i was just like i'm gonna be an intern for the rest of my life like this is okay. great right like hundred dollars a month are you kidding me to work <laughs> like it. all right here we go right this is great i drive up to ridgefield out in the but it was like i remember being at the station out there in the middle of this strawberry fields like there was nothing around but yeah. strawberry fields out there and it was just like here we go like there's two of us on a rig and yeah. hey it's your day to drive it's like i I don't even know how to turn this thing on, but yeah, okay, yeah. here we go. It's I've never on. been through any kind of formalized academy. Yeah. Nothing. They're just like, You're here's working. your gear. Yeah. Here's your uniform. Good luck. Yeah. And so it was kind of this introduction to it, and it was great. It was like me and Scott Burney. <laughs> Dude. For real? For real. Square business. Oh, my Scott God. Burney, every Friday, oh every Friday we would work a 24-hour shift. Oh Scott my Burney, God. myself, and then this other guy, I can't remember his name. We'd call him Capri. <laughs> And because Bernie would just hammer on him oh about how short God. his pants were. And so they called him Capri for his Capri pants. You know, it's just this total stuff. It was, it was awesome. Uh, yeah. But Bernie was a huge, honestly, he helped me a lot. Yeah. And uh, we'd go out and drill and throw ladders and he would yell at you and, you know, just the total Scott yeah. Bernie style. And, absolutely. But it was a blast. I absolutely loved it. And so, um, but yeah, I started testing with Portland and a year later I got hired on. Okay. I was pretty fortunate in that regard that I wasn't a multi-year, it didn't take me a super long time to get mm-hmm. hired. Yeah, the tw- I didn't do very well on Tualatin Valley's test. It was like, hey, memorize this book at mm-hmm. the time, right? right? How many fire-related deaths were there in 1984? <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, ah, I don't need to know. Right. That seems like, and sure enough, that was like question one. I was <laughs> like, oh God. Here we go. <laughs> you know, here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I took Portland's test. And at that time, you know, it was at the convention center. Yep. 4,000, 3,000 people, whatever it is, are turned, you know, turn out for that. And it's like, holy smokes. Yeah. So I ended up making it through the entire process. I made it through, this was the, uh, so I took Portland's test twice. And the first time I did the uh, apprenticeship because I didn't felt like, I didn't feel like I had any experience, Mm -hmm. whatever, right? And so I took the apprentice program. I went through the entire process, went through the physical agility, went through the chief's interview, the everything, and I didn't get picked up. And so at that time, there was a gentleman by the name of Erwin Warren, who was the recruiter. And I remember calling him when Portland's test came available again. And at that time, in between, I was hanging window blinds for a small company, you know, just doing struggling, right? Yeah. 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 And I call, I actually got up enough er, nerve and I called Erwin Warren and I said, hey, I'm just curious as to why I didn't get hired. What can I do better? so I can get picked up this next time. What can I improve on? And so he gave me some feedback, which was invaluable, I think, you know, and stuff. And I said, do you think I should take the apprentice program, you know, test again, or should I take the regular firefighter test? And he said, no, take the firefighter test. And sure enough, I got picked up on that one. Okay. And and, uh, it was crazy. I just, it was, it was amazing. So you got hired when? 2003. Okay. Yeah. What time of year did you start? Uh, May, yeah, May of 2003 is when I got hired, 
And I just remember, so like, I don't know about you, I'm sure, but we got these, uh, it was like, I don't want to call it a Scantron. Okay. This thing in the mail that tells you whether you passed oh. or failed and moved on to the next step. Yeah. I still have those. Oh, do you? I still have them. Yeah. And it was... Uh, I know what you're talking about because I've got mine and it was when, it was after, because I did the training, you know, the apprentice program and... It was this. It looked like something you would throw away. Yes, it, yeah. it showed up in the mail. It was like it carbon was like coffee paper. Yes, it or was whatever. like when, when you're a kid and you get those ditto forms, and yes. they, would, they would they would crank the handle and it would poop out a bunch of forms that were all like that powder blue color. Yeah, on paper that left like ink all over your hands. And yes, it that's showed it. Up and said, "Tear the sides off yes, this thing." That's it. And yeah. inside, like, congratulations, you've yeah. been placed yeah. on an unranked hiring list. Yes, six thousand other people. You yep. know, don't call us, we'll call you, kind of thing. God, I haven't yeah, thought but, about it ages. It's yeah. exactly what it's like. Yeah, like, it just looked like a piece like of junk a four mail. Four by six card. You like? Yeah. 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 Yes, I'm not the winner of this year's publisher <laughs> clearinghouse. <laughs> yes, exactly. So anyway, that's yeah. what, that's what showed up and. And then yeah, you, and opened then, it up and, and, you know, report to this time yeah. down at logistics to get sized for your uniforms and, <clears throat> you know, yeah. Was, who, so who, what was your, how many people were in your class? And we had, uh, I can't remember if we had 12 or 16, okay. I think or something like that. 12 yeah. maybe. Who were your like trainers that. at TAC? We had, um, Mark Mickelson, uh, AJ Jackson, we had Kerry Kilner and Dave Lloyd. Okay. Mm. Oh, and Eric Walker. We had Eric Walker down there, but he was more, uh, I think, kind of, I don't know. He just took a lot of naps, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> he was on his way out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Were, um, were the officers in? Mickelson was the, oh, and uh, Brule was the right. captain okay. at training at the time. Okay. And Mickelson was. Uh, the lieutenant, one of the lieutenants, and then yeah, it was mostly. I think it was mostly for us though, because AJ was pregnant at the time, so she was about ready to go off on pregnancy mm-hmm. leave, and then um, so it was mostly Carrie Kilner and Dave Lloyd. Yeah, yeah, were our trainers. Yeah, how was that? It was great, dude. I loved it. I like we. I'm not gonna. My whole training experience was fantastic. I mean, our whole training crew yep. was phenomenal. We have unbelievable people you know we had mike pringle we had yeah you know at two and at, or he was in my training group oh he was just oh, my training your group gotcha. was like class, yeah. super supportive yeah, you know yeah. john robinson and yeah. nate sullivan and you know <laughs> wow. anthony braxton and you know all these big name yeah well what i consider all stars yeah it was really pretty amazing so i was hired in the first group and it was like I don't know what I'm doing here. Like these guys, and especially the, you know, Jim Martin and a lot of these guys had been a part of that apprentice program. So they had already been there for like a month or whatever it was taking hydrants and doing different things. And so I really kind of felt like I was behind the the eight ball a little bit when we showed up and, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome though. We had a great time. I loved the PT part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I look back at it now and it's like, holy smoke <laughs> we're gonna climb that you know this tower with right. no fall system and that was after not too long after the oh yeah. you know misty had fallen oh, and, right. and stuff and yeah you know i just remember like here we fucking go don't let i guess go. this is where it ends right here you <laughs> <Yeah>. know <laughs> this is it don't, don't let go don't yeah let go. yeah running towers all you know running a million towers doing the physical agility test every day 
running towers and then climbing the outside firefighter yep. ladder mm-hmm. on that thing. And yeah, was, I'm doing it. Here we go. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was good. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So you go to twos. Yep. Go to twos, and we ha- I had I was on C shift at twos, and it was myself, Nate Sullivan, Chris Barney, and um, John Hole. It was the four of us. And so we didn't have a senior group ahead of us. There was a little bit of a delay in hiring. Mm-hmm. And so when we went over to Engine 2, we had um, my trainers were Rick Dobb and Chuck Chamberlain. And the, oh my God, they were so <laughs> intimidating, like crazy. Okay. Nicest people in the world, but like Rick Dobbs had this big, giant black firefighter mustache, right? And you couldn't, his mustache was so big, you couldn't see when he would smile. All you'd see is this squint of his eyes. And so it was just like, we don't know if we're doing things right, wrong, whatever. And then Chuck Chamberlain was a, I feel like he's a cross between like Buford T. Justice or whatever from Smokey and the Bandit and Boss Hog a little bit, right? Okay, yeah. He had these big aviator glasses on and he had this mustache and he would just smoke a cigar and just shake his head all day long. And he was the paramedic and the driver of the of Engine 2, right? Okay. And then the four of us piled in the back. Uh-huh. And then the, the truck trainers were, we had Don Palmer, John Thompson, we had uh, TJ Leonards and um, Jesse Perry, okay. I think mm-hmm. were the four people there at the time until mm-hmm. we moved over and then i think tj and jesse got moved out and then it was john thompson and don palmer yeah and mm-hmm. stuff so okay but it was dude it was a blast we would laugh yeah it was it, I, I it's funny too because i hear some pretty bad horror stories from yeah. people and i had a complete opposite experience okay you felt like the trainers were there to like teach and support Absolutely. what you were doing 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. yeah did you, I mean, did you feel like, I'm sorry, right, first day you're on the engine at twos, like, did you feel like you were ready for that part of the job? No, or ab- 100% not. Absolutely no. There was no, <laughs> yes, we had done a million short stretches and yeah. long stretches yeah. and taken hydrants and this and that. But as far as like going on your first call, yeah, it was like, I am not prepared for this. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe... Yes, we'll figure it out, but mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I knew what was going on. You know, we talk about the fire ground pace. It's like I did not understand fire ground pace. Yeah. I did not understand mindset. I did not understand any of that. And I remember one time we had a car accident on 205. And so we didn't understand the difference just from hearing the tap out. We didn't understand, like, <laughs> it was I don't know yeah. what that even means, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All we hear is a car accident on 205 Bridge. And it was like, so we all jump off with our packs on. Yep. Because at that time, it's like, oh, okay, a pin in, right. we're going to pull a line and mm-hmm. this and that. Yeah. And remember, we all jumped off, and it was just a small fender bender. And Chuck Chamberlain just chewed our asses like, what are you guys doing wearing your pack? You know, it's just like, so, yeah. we're like, we don't know the difference. Of course. Like, yeah. fuck, I don't know. <laughs> you know? It was so fun. It was just, I look back at it now, and I yeah. laugh, and it was just like, okay. Yeah. So it kind of forces you to like, okay, this... I mean, shit. Of you don't know what you don't know, right? You, you he was do like, not know what you God really damn. Know. And and I mean, Fook talked about the same thing where he said, you know, their first call, he was on the truck, his very first shift, and uh, <laughs> and he said that he drove he drove the truck to his first call. <laughs> it was a cardiac arrest at, at Park Rose High School, right? And the way that he put it sticks, you know, sticks with me. He said, "I had no idea what this job could be. Yeah, I had no idea yeah. what this job could be." 
I mean, it's just as you're on the truck, so you can be first in on a a permit fire, and you've got yeah. you've got search. <laughs> it could be your first call. I don't even know what search means. Like, <laughs> yeah, right, because you don't do any of that until you're supposed to be doing it. So, yeah, was there any kind of yeah briefing from these trainers in terms of this is what you can expect, and this is what you're going to be doing, this is what we're going to be doing? Not really, honestly. There, I didn't really feel like that expectation speech was even there, even for a a fire. So, yeah. which was really interesting. I look back at it now, right. and it's just like I guess we're just going to follow what our what our senior guys are mm-hmm. doing, or our, our trainers are doing, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, which is really crazy to me to think about now, um, and how far training has come. But um, yeah, that wasn't. Yeah, it was just get off the rig and do something. So did you get a fire? We did. We actually had a first in fire. Um, we went on, it was awesome, dude. We went on every fire in the city. And I remember our first day, 14s had a box and we went on it. We were, the fire was already out by the time we got there, but I just, that will forever be ingrained. You Mm -hmm. you know, we got to, and I kind of related it back to like when I did that ride along at eights and now I'm starting to understand the different, Hey, second do rig, you're probably taking the hydrant, blah, 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 you know, whatever initial attack line. I knew the, the lingo I should say, and going in there and then. It was really cool because uh, Rick Dobbs and and Chuck Chamberlain, you know, I they're a tough read, and I was just like super intimidating. Yeah. And but they stopped and bought us Slurpees on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> stopped at a mini mart on uh, Sandy or Killingsworth or whatever it was, and bought us Slurpees. And they're like, "This is tradition. This is what we do for our first fire. We stop and buy Slurpees." Really? Did and they I was buy like, one for all shit. you guys? Y'all to share it? <laughs> yeah, basically, here's four straws. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no, it was really pretty amazing. Yeah, cool. So yeah, I got to see that. We actually went on a fair amount of fires, and then when we moved to the truck, we had a crew behind us, and that was even made it better. You know, it was like Tom Chips and. And Colin McGladry and Pete Valentine and Ryan Weaver were on yeah. my shift. Wow. And it was an absolute, like, I can't explain how much fun it yeah. was with those guys. Like, it was fun. And we would just sit in the bullpen there mm-hmm. late, late at night, just laughing our asses off at yeah. what happened that day. Mm-hmm. You know, talk, telling funny stories about Chuck Chamberlain, and we'd call him Chucky Poo. Sorry, Chuck. We, you know, we'd call, you know, it's just this, this big joke. And I remember, you know, there'd be a point where the, you know, it'd be midnight, twelve thirty one in the morning, whatever it was, and the trainer would come out and be like, "Keep it the fuck down, like shut up. <laughs> We're trying to sleep here, you know, like God damn it, right?" And we'd just be out there laughing. And, My room's right on the other yeah, side of this wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was super awesome. And then having like John Thompson and. But yeah, we had a a first in fire when I was on the engine, and for whatever reason, John Thompson was riding the. Uh, if I remember right, he was riding the engine that day. Oh no, he wasn't. He was on the truck. But so we get off. Nate grabs the line. It was a commercial uh, auto body. It was going good, and Nate stretches the line, and we're kind of sitting there. And I remember thinking, like, do we go inside? Mm-hmm. Because we don't know. Nobody's with you. Right, we don't know. Chuck Chamberlain's pumping and Dobbs is in command. Gotcha. And so we have the truck trainers and they were doing whatever. But John Thompson came over and I'll never like, dude, another thing that I'll always be. He basically, I look back at him. I was like, do we, and I was Nate's backup. And I was like, do we go inside? And he's like, yeah, get in there. And he basically <laughs> picked big Nate up. <laughs> 
and fucking directed him like a like a nozzle almost, you know, where to spray and this and that, and kind of pushed us in. Okay. And like, it, you know, it was just those magnesium engine blocks were going, and yeah. it was mm-hmm. really exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, but yeah. So he was with you when you guys. Yeah, went he was. In, he was there, summer. not during the initial stretch, but immediately afterwards, and yeah. was there the whole time to be. You know, just as a, I think as a really good senior man would, right, take that role and just be like, this is, this is what we're doing. This is where you need to go. Yeah. <laughs> this is, yes, you're yeah. going inside. Yeah, because <laughs> we didn't know. Just like that car accident, we didn't know. Of we course, we didn't know if we're supposed to go across that threshold. We didn't know. Mm-hmm. Right. He's like, no, you're going. In. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the greatest thing ever. It was like, yeah. hell yeah, hell yeah, we're going in. Here we right. go. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, to think that you know, if maybe if he hadn't seen you or he was preoccupied doing something else it would have been you and nate just well now what yeah because i don't know where chris barney and john hole were like i don't remember if they grabbed another line and did their own thing but i just remember nate and i were on this line and it might have even been a two and a half or i can't remember if he stretched a two and a half or an inch and three quarter i don't know but yeah it was yeah we don't know we're just sitting here now what? Nate looks at me. I kind of look at him. And we're looking, you know, it's, like, it's time to put this fire out. I guess so, right? <laughs> yeah. And it was in that spot, too, that's like just north of the railroad tracks, kind of like um, it would have been in between like twos and twelves, just north yep. of uh, Sandy there mm-hmm. on the north side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. And we, were, I felt like we were there by ourselves kind of forever, even though we probably weren't. But sure. yeah. it's just what it felt like. Everything yeah. kind of slowed down at that point. And, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> Dude, crazy. So where'd you do, where'd you finish your probation then? Yeah, so I got out of uh, twos. So let me backtrack a little bit. So when I was on truck two, they were, it was awesome. We went on, like I said, every fire in the okay. city. They were very good. Don Palmer was, and John Thompson were all about that. It didn't matter if it was in the West Hills. It didn't matter if it was downtown. So we got a lot of experience doing overhaul, which is so invaluable, I feel like. And um, we got to see a lot of stuff and what worked and what didn't. And so there was that kind of, okay, walk us through it. Let these guys overhaul this place, you know, commercial buildings, residential. It was amazing. Hmm. So after that, after I got off a truck two, I went to station three to finish my probation. So, because at that time, the last three months, you're at a double company finishing your probation. And so I went downtown to station three down there and finished my probation down there. And I was just like, this is where I'm going to be the rest of my career. I love it down there. <laughs> yeah. Station three. Oh, this is, you know, other guys were going to 25s and yeah. eights and, yeah. you know, eights was a double company at the time. Right. They were all saying the same thing. This is where I'm going to be this forever. Yeah. You know, I love like, this. Like your first girlfriend. I love you. We're going to be together forever. <laughs> you know, kind of deal. Yeah. And it was awesome. I had a great time down there. It was, um, I was Kelly Relief at the time, you know, because yep. that's what you did when yep. you were on probation, you yep. Kelly Relief. And and uh, all three shifts were awesome. Minto was down there and Ed Resch and mm-hmm. Rob Hutchins. They were all still firefighters, you mm-hmm. know, not officers at the time. And there was some, um, God, I wish I could remember his name. There was this, just um, Mark Hebison was still yeah. there. And there was this other salty old guy down there. He didn't say a whole lot. He would just kind of sit out there and smoke cigarettes and stuff, you know. And uh, but it was fun. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, they had went through a couple different captains and okay and stuff. So. Yeah, do was did you get the sense of like you were getting the hang of it? I mean, you so you come in to threes after twos and you're kind of in the 
I mean, you're still on probation, obviously, but yeah, it's the real world, so to speak. Yeah, it was the no, I didn't. I I probably had this false sense of security. Okay, I would say, um, like I had no idea what I was doing, which is crazy. But downtown, I mean, as you guys know, obviously, is a different world yeah. than out there at, at, at twos. And I think I had f- relied so heavily and you form these bonds with your trainers so much that you almost, I don't want to say become dependent on them, mm. but they almost think for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when now all of a sudden here you are in the real world, let's say, I, I didn't feel like I was set up to be that independent thinker and which was pretty scary, but I just, like I said, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And it was like, fuck, I, here this we go. Is, this, this is, is what, what we're, we're doing. doing. Yeah. You know? And There's so much of that, I think, that this is what we're doing. Yeah. This, you just come into a group and, oh, this is this is what we're doing. And it, they, until you look back at those experiences and yeah. put them in context of what you know now or um, how training may be similar or different, there's no, you're just, oh, this is what we're doing. Yeah, I didn't know what was never ever explained to me all through my training and i think that's is why i i do what i do now is i never understood the why behind the what right yeah. i never understood well you're doing this because of this yeah and if you don't this is what happens or if, you know these are the results of your actions that was never ever at least that i can remember and i could be wrong but i was never explained these are the steps and this is why you're doing it it was more like this is something we've kind of always done and so therefore this is what we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if it didn't make sense or whatever, right? That looking back at it, like that is alarming. <laughs> <laughs> alarming to me. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I mean, do you remember having those questions come up along the way? Like why are we Oh yeah. Why are we doing this? Oh, yeah, but I wouldn't say anything. Of- Right. right. I would just sit there well, and keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what we're doing is we're keeping our mouth shut. And yeah. I would rely heavily on the people that were there before me. Yeah. You know, that were there. And um, I would just kind of ride their coattails and, you know, like, I'm going to follow them. I'm going to do what they tell me to do. And I'm not going to really ask any questions mm-hmm. kind of deal. And I mean, obviously everything kind of worked out, but. Um, were there some senior firefighters at threes that you remember kind of yeah I mean Ed Resch and from? I really I would I remember like picking Ed and Rob Hutchins brain a lot honestly I didn't really approach Mark Hebison like he was super great super nice yeah but I just didn't feel comfortable and you know I kind of once I kind of broke the ice and stuff I and Minto like I'd ask Ryan Minto I'd pick their brains and they were studying to take the the lieutenant's exam. And so I felt like they would have the answers yeah. and they did, you know, they were really good as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but tactically I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Like I would just show up and just kind of follow along like a yeah. duckling right mm-hmm. now. So, yeah, I remember having a similar experience coming to station one where there were senior firefighters all over the place but it really not gravitating towards them too much it it kind of felt like the people with you know five to seven years were a better resource just because they understood what what you were feeling yeah right and there i remember there was this expectation or an unspoken expectation or anticipation that if you asked an old timer 
hey, what about this? Why do we do this very basic thing that I don't understand? Yeah. That it would be met with, what are you talking? Like, didn't you just get out of training? Yeah. What, what are they teaching? That's you exactly there? right. Yeah. And yep. I think the reality is that it had more to do with not wanting to be, to look stupid. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. 100%, you know, that, yeah. that ego piece, but then also the fact that there wasn't, I don't know, it just didn't, I, I don't remember coming, being a young firefighter and having it be understood that you can go to any of these senior guys and ask them any question. Yeah. Or what would be a reasonable question in good faith and have them understand what you meant by it. Yeah. Like, like this, oh, okay, you don't, you don't get that. Well, let's, let's go over it. Yeah. And whether that was just part of a, like a shortcoming in the culture of that relationship or they didn't know. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be some of both a combination. Yeah, somewhere sure. between. Yeah. Right. But I'm, I'm curious, like going back to John Thompson that you mentioned, it sounds like he stuck out as somebody that you really appreciated having a oh, training. Yeah. And I yeah. guess I'm, I'm curious, like what, what about his affect or his behavior, or the way that he operated that you really liked about it or mm. like said, like, I, I want to do that someday mm. or I want to have that attitude or. I think he was just very approachable and totally. personable, right? Totally. Like, yeah. like he wasn't standoffish. He would ask about your family, ask about how you're doing. You know, he was very, I don't know, approachable mm -hmm. versus, and, and don't get me wrong. The other guys were too, but a lot of the stuff was um, at that time going through training, you know, it's very surface, right? Yeah. You're, you're on, you could be fired at any time. There wasn't this, Hey, I'm, you're, you're on your 12th interim, right? It was like, you get one interim and you're fucked. Yeah. Basically right. you know, right. your second one, you're gone. You're on the radar. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, you know, you feel like you're, I don't want to ask any questions because I don't want to get put on the radar, yeah. right. but I right. have a lot of questions, but I don't want to look stupid. You know, that it's just that whole weird dichotomy of like, yeah. I don't know where I fit. 100%. Absolutely. And so, and then once you get out into, like I said, this real world or at station three or out into the companies, it was like, now I just got to fake it yeah. because I, I am not, literally, I'm not prepared. Yeah. But I can't let people see that. Anybody see it. And I, th and it's I, such a bad thing. Absolutely. I, yeah. I think it resonates all the time yeah. from if you're training environment is one where it's better to make it's better to do nothing than to do the wrong thing yeah mm -hmm. right then you're sort yeah. of trained to hang back to, yep. to sandbag or to like well i'll wait and see if somebody else gives it a try first and then if they screw it up then at least i'm not the one that made the air in front of everybody and then maybe i can learn something by not doing anything correct by watching somebody else do it yeah and i think that's a that's a really unfortunate dangerous yeah they call them training scars right i mean that, yeah. we've heard that yeah. term and yeah. that is a huge training scar and i i think we see it a lot in an environment where you just pe people don't know and they're afraid to ask yeah or afraid to say hey i don't know about this thing can you tell me about it i mean i've done it countless times oh yeah right yeah. I, I would rather you know i'm, I'm going to see how this plays out rather than take a risk and say hey I don't, I don't know this. Can you show me how to do this? Yeah. Especially when it's something that you feel like you should know, yes. given how much time you have on the job. Because we, yeah. um, even though we don't have that culture of, you know, we're, we're developing a culture of senior firefighters looking after, you know, junior folks coming up. Yeah. Um, you, you still run into that. I think you still run into that scenario. No question. Time. Yeah. And the other, I think the other thing too is then training was like, 
not the real world way. Right. Right. There was more training obviously is structured for a reason. The real world was more freelance. Yeah. Get off the rig and kind of do what you want. Yeah. No accountability kind of deal. And John understood that. Yeah. And he, I felt like he was my trainer as well. Mm-hmm. He always, as a trainee, as a recruit, he always had my back. Yes. That was a big difference. He wasn't out to see what I, like, you could make the mistake. You could ask the question. Yeah. He had your back. Yes. And yeah. you didn't have to ever have that feeling with him. He asked the question that then he had a bullseye on your back. Yeah. You know, that was a big thing. I felt very, he was approachable for sure. Yes. But that was part of it. He would, he was there to teach. And he was there to fight and, for you. Yeah. Yeah. And he did. I yeah. saw, I heard him do it more than once and we loved him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah, and, amazing. And obviously yeah. those are, those are lifelong memories that you guys have made about this one individual. And now without, without a complimentary member or members out in the companies, then that feeling kind of goes away. Like, oh, I see. This is, it's already a huge transition to leave training. Yeah. And so do like, oh, okay, well, I guess right. that was training. Right. And now this is the real world where it's every person for themselves and the goal is to not look dumb. Well, and you brought up, you know, like, well, what are they teaching you in training these days? And it's like, I don't remember how many times I've heard that. Like, <laughs> yes. I, I guess I don't know what they're teaching us in training. Well, and, like, and what does that do? That just tells you to keep your mouth shut yeah. and to yeah. not ask any questions. Creates when, insecurity, creates questions. Like, yes. yeah. When the reality is that, you know, somebody in your position, it's actually, if this person doesn't know, yeah. it's not their fault. That's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> That's right? your responsibility <laughs> to make sure that they know what they're doing. Can I take it one step to, further? Yeah, yeah please. Sorry. Yeah, no. no please. I was in a situation of reminding me of com- in, actually on probation, approaching a fire and getting that shit. Like, what are you doing? And, re- and having that exact same embarrassed response. Yeah. In retrospect, they were wrong. Yeah. They were they were in the wrong. I'm not sure what their their feeling was about the whole thing. It turned out it wasn't not that big of a deal. Not that big of a fire. But I showed up. I was masked up. I was ready to go in. I actually masked up on the rig, and I did what I was <laughs> supposed to do, and I kind of got shit for it. I had that whole spiral thing happen, and it's like in retrospect, you know what? That was the right thing to do. I yeah. was ready to work. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so that's just that's all bringing that. I hadn't thought about that in well, like fourteen years. Yeah. yeah well, you're already crazy. in yeah. the mindset that you're not sure. Yeah. Right. You, you there isn't the confidence to compliment yeah. the training that you've been given because yeah. so many times you're told, oh, it comes with experience, or oh, you'll learn that later, or you'll see it. And then, so everything, by nature, everything you're doing, you're sort of second guessing yourself. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Because you're trying to put two and two together when it hasn't been laid out for you necessarily. But so much of, I mean, so much of what we do is you don't, you don't know unless somebody says, okay, come over here. I'm going to show you this thing or you screw it up. And then you're like, well, I'm not going to make that mistake next time. Or I'm going to try to remember not to make that mistake next time. Well, and I expected not knowing i expected there to be a hundred john thompson's out there or a hundred don palmers right Uh, out in the companies like i'm going to this predetermined station that may have some kind of uh informal you know senior yes leadership to provide guidance to the new guys versus just hey i just need a signature in my task book to get my tiller train you know that kind of thing but actually would be like yeah kid just Stay close. We're going to yeah. show you how this works kind of deal. Right. It just wasn't there. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, I'm sure there are at some stations, you know, mm-hmm. but w- my experience, it just, it was like, hang on. Yeah. It's a, 
<laughs> well, and they know that's the wild thing to me too, because they they know you're coming. I mean, that's they know a you're sta- coming. That's a station <laughs> they, that that has yeah. a revolving door yes. of yeah. probationary of, firefighters. Yes, of probationary yeah. firefighters. So. Uh, Maybe we help them. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's like <laughs> there's another one coming in three months. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. So I did my uh, so finished up my probation there and went Kelly Relief and I did twenty uh, threes, forties, and twelves was my Kelly Relief track. Okay. Did you um, like? Did you so Fukai talked about a moment when he was at Station One mm-hmm. where he was attempting to it was a commercial fire and he was attempting yeah. to force a door an outward swinging door yeah. in a commercial building and yeah. was it couldn't accomplish the job couldn't get it done yeah and kind of had this moment where he was like I can't keep doing this I don't know what I'm doing it was there was there a period of time or oh, an yeah. event or so yeah tell I me actually about that. have a very very if not identical situation that he had too so backtrack a little bit in training we never once learned how to force doors we didn't know we talked more about the Bresna distributor and the Hux bar than we did about the irons. Right. Mm-hmm. So move forward. And I'm, we got that Kelly track at 23s, 40s and 12s. 23s had some pretty senior people. John Harding, I think was the captain there. And then, um, a bunch of older guys and stuff. And we had a commercial fire come in. Literally, I was probably a block like away from 23s. And it was hardly enough time to get your pack on. And I remember jumping off the rig. I mean, it'll be forever ingrained in my brain. And I didn't grab any tools. And I sat there and I looked at this door, this commercial man door is what it was, outward opening, metal door. I just remember, like, now what? Mm. What, what do I do? I have no idea what to do. And the fire turned out to be really kind of nothing fire. And one of the senior guys literally dressed me down in front of everybody. And, you know, okay, right. I jumped off the, you know, that was the one thing. Don't ever jump off the rig without tools in your hand. It's like, well, okay, but I also expected to stretch a line, but I also, you know, because I was nozzle, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I didn't stretch the line because I needed to open this door because I don't know where my backup, my other person was. I don't know if they were doing whatever it may be. And I just remember this helpless, hopeless feeling and now embarrassment, incompetence. You check all those boxes of like, that's when the reality set in that I had no fucking idea what I was doing. And that's when I, it was almost like that math teacher of like, you're not good enough. Yeah. And I said, bullshit, watch this. And so that's kind of what triggered me to, take on this training yeah. and stuff that kind of, you know, it was a hard pill to swallow because coming out of threes, you know, it was a super fun station. We were having a great time and it's like, fuck, I just feel so good. You know, yeah. this is amazing. And then you have that aha moment of like, oh shit. Right. I'm in trouble. Yeah. And that was mine. That was like a huge turning point in my career of like one, I don't ever want to feel this way again. Yeah. I will never act like what he did. Mm-hmm. Right. But I also, do, I need to be able to open this door, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I need to fucking do the yeah. basic shit. It's a super weird <laughs> thing about this job is that there's so much about this job that isn't actually operating at Correct. fires and emergencies that you can totally get through a, 
a long and you know potentially storied career, career. where you're yeah. well known among your yeah. peers and everybody likes you and oh this yeah. is a great guy and um or gal and it's just yeah and you get through and you yeah. get your polished axe at the end of it and that's it that's it without ever having one of those moments or yeah. wondering why when i have those moments uh oh, like oh yeah that was weird and then moving on and i it it creates that false sense of like oh, i think i'm really getting the hang of it yeah and and um, the big reality check set in of right. like you have no idea like it was yeah. crazy it's a terrible like, feeling terrible 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 feeling so what yeah so tell me about what happened after that well i mean not a whole lot honestly nobody yeah. then like that was the weird thing because then there wasn't really any kind of support structure to be yeah. like hey kid i noticed let me show you how the irons work let me yeah. show you how to force this door none of that there wasn't any of it because i don't know if realistically any of those guys knew mm-hmm. how to force a door which is like what kyle's talking about like yeah that just wasn't there probably not and it just kind of got swept under the rug kind of went away and i just avoided that guy like there was this weird awkwardness throughout the anytime i'd work on that shift it was just this yeah it was weird because my mindset now is so different than it was then and it was just like i was uh not only humbled but i was really want questioning like what the fuck yeah. did i get myself into mm-hmm. and the insecurities just completely set in yeah. of what is you know i just didn't know and I didn't have, like I said, those senior guys to kind of get me back on track until I met Fook, obviously. Okay. I hadn't met him at that time yet. Mm-hmm. So there was, um, I heard, I don't remember where I heard this, but we people, humans, have a tendency to criticize things in other people that they don't like about mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have, no you, have you heard that yeah, before? Yeah, totally. I mean, it may be so obvious, but I remember hearing, the first time I heard that, it made me just think about all the times that I've, you know, criticized someone, oh, either, yeah. whether outwardly or to somebody else or just in my own head. Yeah. And, and I think that there's so much truth in that. And so just thinking about that, you know, that senior firefighter who yelled at you for <laughs> getting off the rig and not knowing what to do, I, I can't help but wonder if that person felt exactly the same way and was, yeah. you know, just winging it. And, I think that's and, what it was, was just, you're just wing it. And it was just like, yeah, what are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> but all the fires go out, Jason. I know, right? <laughs> there isn't like... a single fire that's still burning. <laughs> yeah, dig, man. It's just like, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, I just don't know. And so, yeah, then I would, you know, continued my Kelly track for quite a little while and caught some fires and different things and things went fine, you know? Yeah. And then I went, got stationed up at station eight or no, excuse me, backtrack. I was offered a spot at 23s and I turned it down. I wanted someplace busier. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, um, John Harding said, we'd like to have you come to 23. Surprising. Mm-hmm. But I actually turned it down, which was a uh, just something that you kind of just didn't do back then. It seemed like you just mm-hmm. kind of accepted your first spot that you were offered. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, I really appreciate the offer, but I want to go to someplace busier. And uh, ended up going to 28s. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Dan Buckner was there as the captain. Or no, backtrack. Before I went to 28s, <laughs> I got a long-term soft spot out of 31s, 45s at the time. Yeah, and that was a blast. 
like it was really cool working with a you know you got to go on quite a few fires mm-hmm. with Gresham and you're kind of the the outlaws you're kind of the right. you know just <laughs> yeah. no one even knew where that station was you have these <laughs> yeah. temporary walls and this toilet that was up on a pedestal in the basement it was like just this really weird you know just crazy yeah. temporary thing and out there was Salvetti and Iranaga and Jason Sharp and Ryan Lindquist and Zavatsky was the captain mm-hmm. I think at the time out there and it was uh it was a hoot wow. it was just a bunch of of people in my same position of like here we go. Yeah. Like the tones are, I get, you're driving today. And let's it's like, do it. Oh, okay. Well, I don't even know how to get to division from here, but okay. Yeah. Here we go. And so then, yeah, I went from 31s. I was there for that uh, period of time and then got the spot at 28s with Anthony, which was super awesome. And Dave Lloyd okay. at the time. So mm-hmm. one of my trainers and then one of my uh, Your classmates. Classmates. Yeah. 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 It was fantastic. And then having Buckner there. Yeah. Was was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So that was around 2006 then? You were at 28? It would have been 2005, 2006 probably. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was crazy. It was good. Yeah. I was only there. I wasn't there very long because I think Dan got either got moved or promoted yeah. and they brought in a BLS officer. So the, I was the junior person there. So I got moved and yeah. I got, they gave me a decision. You can either go. I can't remember where the decision was. It was between some station and station eight. And I said, I want to go to station eight. Yeah. So I went up to eight. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Double company at the time. Yeah. It was fun. Everybody was super cool. Uh-huh. You know, um, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Club eight up there. They'd sleep yeah. all night. They'd have a little mint turn <laughs> down was, service on your pillow. It was, quite, <laughs> you know, was, like, wow, this it is, was quite a deal. What do you mean? This yeah. is, it was, pretty, this is where I'm going to be forever. <laughs> you know, pretty, another one, you know, it was a pretty good deal. Yeah. Basketball every morning and yeah. you oh, don't God. have to, you don't have to drive to shop and nope. Yeah. Basketball two, three hours every morning yeah. with 14s. It was a pretty mm-hmm. good, it was fantastic. It was a pretty good deal. Bob Willington. Yep. Mm. It was just great, man. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Good time. But I didn't grow. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, it was fun. I had a blast up there and that's where, you know, JK and I became super good friends. I was, mm-hmm. had gone through a divorce. So I was single at that time. And, you know, all those guys, a bunch of those guys were all single. So we were, it, we had a lot in common you know, riding dirt bikes and mm-hmm. doing that stuff. And, and, uh, but as a firefighter, I, I did not grow yeah. tac- tactically or technically. Mm-hmm. Like my skills were still dog shit. Yeah. You know, and, uh, we went on fires, we'd go on fires at stretch hose, you know, that was, everything was fine. Everything went good, but I knew nothing about the truck. Even though I'd ride the truck, I knew absolutely zero. And that was, it was really interesting too, because when I was at station two, I knew I wanted to ride the truck for my career. Like that's, I want to be on a truck. And I was either, I either wanted to be on a truck or on like rescue two for New York. <laughs> that's what I wanted. <laughs> Those are my options, <laughs> right? Yeah, you're yeah. Right. And the squad, yeah. squad one wasn't an option, right? It was like these super old salty guys at the time. I really yeah. wasn't interested in the tech program, you know, and this mm-hmm. and that. I hadn't, I think I'd only traveled through there a couple times, you know? Yeah. And so, but I just, so I was like, a truck is where I want to be. I'd ride that thing and I had no idea what, it encompassed 
Did at you all. have a sense that anybody did that you were working with? Well, there were some pretty um, older people that had been at Station Eight for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I don't know if they or if they were just still winging it, or mm-hmm. if it was just like, yeah, we'll get through this. We'll figure it out when we get there kind of attitude yeah if we cut here on this a post if we do this mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff but it i it's truck ops now is different than i feel like what it is different than what it is now yeah. mm-hmm. for sure yeah and i'm not trying to take away from anything that those guys of course did you know or anything but i just know for me when i rode that truck i was just Again, once again, hold on. Yeah. Go until I started taking classes and figuring out like, no, this is the true difference between a truck and an engine Mm -hmm. other than just water and ladders. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. They're they're different roles. And uh, I didn't actually start putting that in practice until I went out to 41s or 7s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I think that's an important point. And I think, you know, we'll keep coming back to it. But what you learn from the people that are in front of you, I, you know, this, the more senior folks, yeah. you, you're just, I think it's another example. We're just, we're doing, no, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And I think, you know, all those guys are just, they're doing the best. Yeah. They're doing oh, the best they totally. can. Right? Absolutely. And, and they're doing what they were taught to do. And mm-hmm. then combining that, whatever that training was with the experience that they're gaining, but it's so tough to have meaningful experiences if you can't yeah contextualize them or understand why something went wrong or why something went right yeah if you don't really understand the process and and that's one thing that i i like about what training is doing now um or a training approach that takes the mindset of we have to separate process from outcome yeah right because if you if you have the right process and a bad outcome well that's going to be an outlier and if you have the right process and you have the right outcome, that's what you're expecting. Correct. But trusting that the process that you're doing is going to maximize the number of positive outcomes that you have. Right. But if you you can only really get there mentally if you have a process to begin with. Yeah. If you if you don't have a process to solve a problem, then you're just guessing, and then it's going to be much harder to go back and say, oh well, how did that how did that work, or how did we deviate from our process, or what was the plan to begin with and then what didn't work about that plan we'll change the plan that way we have a good process and then we can if we focus on the outcome then we can screw up everything and still by chance have a good good outcome outcome. then it justifies having no process or a crummy one well yeah and so that was the thing there's no plan right there was never a plan as far as like even you just stretch hose or you just if you rode the truck, you were just like, do what you want, basically. And I hate saying that. And I know that's probably not very, for me, that's what it felt like. Yeah. Was like, you're just freelancing. Hey, you're, you know, at that time it was single truck response on boxes. And so it was two guys go to the roof, two guys go inside. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the officer of the truck c- took command. And so yes. that irons firefighter was just By unaccountable. Yeah. yeah. And um, do whatever the, do whatever you want yeah. like fuck it <laughs> yes you just do you yeah and it was like crazy i look and it's like wow but the other thing that to keep in mind too is then there wasn't that continuing education piece 
right? There wasn't the outside training groups. There might've been some at FDIC, but it's not like it is now or now it's everywhere, right? Yes. Every week there's a different conference or a, some kind of a training that you can go to. And that just didn't exist. At least in what I know of, it didn't exist at that time. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, that's how our fire department is getting trained right now. We're not, there's no internal, there's, no, it's all external training. Absolutely, absolutely. No, no internal training yeah. after you leave station two. Yes. Oh, we did do the skid truck. That was cool. <laughs> it was fun. Simulator. The entire fire department was able to do skid truck training, which is neat. So we all got, we took a ride on the, yeah, you know, the barf monitor inside yes. of the classroom and then. If you can visual, if you can visualize exiting your turn as you're skidding 900 feet away, that works great oh, downtown. Crazy. It is. It's crazy. It is kind of crazy to think but, about. Yeah. So how? So you're at 28s, and then yep, 28s. Dan was real good about getting us like vacant homes, so we would actually stretch hose, oh, you nice. know, and do different things, and and then yeah, was only there for a short period, and then got us that assignment at Station Eight. Mm-hmm. And was there for I don't know maybe a couple of years before I went out to seven. Okay, what was the draw for Station Seven? Well, so it's it's funny because a large, it seems like a, a pretty good number of people of my classmates, as you probably see at Station One, you'll mm-hmm. see like whole classes apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of deal. And it wasn't the fact that I was looking for a home. You know, I'm not traveling. Hey, this is what I, I need to get a spot kind of deal. It wasn't like that for me at all. But I could recognize that, okay, here's a pretty senior station and they're getting fires. I want to go on fires. That's why I became mm-hmm. a firefighter, right? I want to go on every fire in the city. But where I was working, I wasn't getting any a whole lot of fires. You know, North End wasn't burning at that time, really. 23s wasn't burned at the time, you know, Mm -hmm. this and that. I'd get a a couple every now and again, but I just remember listening on the radio like every day, every other, whatever, every shift. It was like, fuck. Yeah. Mm. Oh, don't worry, kid. They're just chicken coop fires, right? I remember hearing that. I don't know. Chicken, what the, what are you talking about? A chicken coop fire? Like, what is this you speak of, you know? (laughs) Wasn't that just, wasn't that a house that burned like a chicken coop? And uh, so I remember thinking, like, I'm going to put in out there. And I had traveled through. And uh, Bancroft was the uh, the captain out there at the time, and they had, like I said, some pretty senior guys. And Halo was big oh, back yeah. then. Yeah. And it's not like these guys were out drilling and training or anything like that. It was Halo. Like okay. that's what. If you would sit there, they all played. Like all these old senior dudes. Oh, really? Would play, and like, if you were good at Halo, you were in. <laughs> Dude, I had never played Halo, whatever, but I had traveled through there enough. It was like, okay, I guess. Yeah, and it was fun. It. Like, it was good. It was good bonding and good, you know, and plus we were running calls. Uh-huh. But back then, I remember, you know, I'd ride the engine, obviously, as a traveler and this and that. And, and uh, we'd sleep through the night. And I'd just be wake up in the morning just pissed. Like, yeah. What no, what, what, every supposed, time. supposed to go on a chicken coop fire. Yeah, we're supposed to be going on these fires. And then sure enough, the next shift, they'd catch a fire or something like that. And I'd be working somewhere else. And it was like, yeah. Jesus Christ. So I just felt like I had this white cloud over me. Uh-huh. And, uh, um, but it was fun. I had a good time. And I knew Anthony and like Jim Martin and my other classmates and were putting in out there. And mm-hmm. like Neil Martin and Dave Barron and, you know, all these guys. And Jeff Klug was there at the time. He got he got stationed out there, and I knew Jeff. Yeah, 
And, you know, I'd gone out there and talked to Jeff again. And every time I'd travel, because he was on a different shift, I was traveling, I think, A shift, I think. So I'd talk to Bancroft and, you know, kind of get my name in. And, and so I put my transfer request in and they had an interview process. And I was the last one on the list, but I made it. <laughs> Dude, perfect. I had the absolute worst interview. I'm not even. I mean, uh, I think it was terrible. But that was the thing. Nobody <laughs> wanted to go out there at the time, right? The hot places to go were 24s, 8s, 14s. You could not get into those stations, mm-hmm. okay, at all, right? Um, ones was a big one. Like it was. Nobody wanted to go out in deep southeast and work out there with a bunch of grumpy old guys, mm. this and that, right? Like they just, that yeah. wasn't the hot ticket at the time, right? Nobody wanted to go yeah. out there. So I was like, well, shit, you know, I'm going to put my name in the hat because I want to get on a truck and I see a, a lot of movement coming up here in, oops, in the next five years or so and uh, see what happens. And so I actually was at eights and I had, they had already put, I had made it through the program or got accepted into the program. They went, we went through hazmat training. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, dude, I wish my interview was, uh, it was so bad, so <laughs> bad. Right. Okay. I felt like I had kind of prepared, but dude, I don't even think I answered, <laughs> I don't even think I answered one of the questions. And so they're like, dude, I think okay. let's just give this kid a shot yeah, because let's have, let's have pity. Let's on have it. pity on it for sure. Right. <laughs> he wants to be here so bad, but oh, he sucks. So, but he just <laughs> sucks. So I was at eights and they, uh, one of the guys Ed bourgeois had, uh, got injured, and so I got a long-term detail out there. When I was at eights, they moved me from eights to out there, and it was fantastic. It was fun. Had a good time, and then I got moved back to eights. But then soon after that, I got moved to mm-hmm. over there. They had the, all the people started re- kind of retiring, and yeah, I went straight into a spot. I didn't have to Kelly relief out there or anything. The timing worked out perfect. Yeah, nice. Yeah, went to a shift, and that's where I've been ever since. Yeah, you have. <laughs> <laughs> Became the permanent driver on the engine out there. Okay, for uh, Tony Baldwin and. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was me. And by that time, Anthony was out there. Okay. And so it was me, Tony Baldwin, Anthony, and Jay Fink on the on the engine. Oh, really? Oh, man. Nice. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when did you start? I mean, is this when you're starting to like look at other training options? Yeah. So at eights, when I was at eights at the time, I remember going up to a truck, a cat, or a truck class up in Washington. I think I rode up there actually with Chris Fukai. So I'd met Chris okay. traveling through. He was at 13s at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I had my first introduction to him, and he was building something like some kind of a new tool and yeah. something out there grinding away on yeah. something in the shop back there, you know. And he had talked about this, uh, mentioned something about this training, this class or whatever. And I was like, well, man, I'd love to be in, you know, go that as well and he's for whatever reason you know he's ride with me or whatever and i think we drove up together if i remember right and took the class and it wasn't like this crazy i think josh materi from seattle was, oh, yeah. was one of the instructors there were some seattle guys and yeah cody i think was there and but it was like ves stuff it was roof ops flat roof stuff off of an aerial you know that kind of stuff that i had never been really i mean been exposed to but a small amount yeah and it was another eye-opening a moment for me in the fact that you know that wasn't just there was groups from all over washington i think were there different departments different sizes volunteers professional you know or 
full-time paid guys. And I didn't know anything. And rightfully so, this is where you learn, right? But I felt like coming from a department this size, I should have been better prepared mm-hmm. for this. And it's like not like the class was like this crazy advanced yeah. tech. It wasn't. None of them are, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about drilling the basics, and I didn't know the basics. I did not know the basics. And to see um, these professionals, professionals, and when I say professionals, I don't mean paid staff, full-time paid. I mean true professional firefighters that know their craft, whether they're volunteer or whether they're what, you know. They were performing at a level that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it was like, holy shit. Yeah. Here we, this is where I need to be. Yeah. And so that's what really kind of kicked me off was that class. Okay. I just kind of kept going from there. And then, yeah. Was that one of the first classes that Fook had taken as well? Or maybe I almost feel like he was, I don't know if he took it or if he was instructing oh, up there. Okay. I can't remember. It was kind of fuzzy. Yeah. If I, and I can't even remember if I rode with him or if I rode with someone else. I just remember yeah. getting there super early and helping drag pallets up to the roof of this tower, you know, helping set up right. for this class. And then, taking the class and it was just like was cody on the job here at that point do you think i don't know if he was there if he was still at district 11 or wherever he was before i I don't know that's my my sense of time is i understand my calendar's off i I mean it would have had to have been right all about this same time if he hadn't Mm -hmm. been on here because i don't know if him and jesse avery had started brothers in battle quite yet and if they had it was still in the very infancy yeah of it and so um, I don't know if the, maybe that was like one of their very first. And so maybe Fook was teaching because Fook was one of the, uh, you know, it was like Ryan Sutton, Fook, Jesse Avery from Vancouver, Cody. Yeah. It was like, and Mark Tilden, I think, were like the first. And there might be some other names in there that I'm missing, but yeah, yeah. that were like the f- primary OGs of Brothers in Battle, I yeah. feel like. So. Mm-hmm. so after, I mean, Coming back after that experience, that was pretty eye-opening. Very eye-opening, yeah. And it was all truck stuff, and I was on the engine at the time. Okay. You know, and there were still some pretty senior people on the on the, in the truck at that time. And so it's like, okay, well, how do we introduce this to mm. that? And you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was just that unspoken. So that's when Anthony and I were, you know, we start, you know we're on the same rig together. And this is on the engine at 7. This is on the engine. Yeah. And, and so that's when everything kind of started spooling up of like, let's get some shit going. Yeah. Kind of deal. And then he got moved over to the truck and then it was like myself and Tony still and Jay Fink and Jason Cunningham on the engine. Mm-hmm. And then I'd get moved over to the truck anytime there was a vacancy, but you know, I got to give Tony Baldwin a ton of credit. Like he, he is one of the best officers I've probably ever worked for. And I actually had a moment not too long ago where I actually had to thank him for not moving me over to the truck at times. Uh, because one, I think he could see I, I wasn't quite ready. Right. Even though I would sit there and I would bitch and moan and cry and fucking throw a fit and just be like, what the fuck? You know, I sh- no, like you you're making his decision easy for him. You're throwing a fit. Oh, totally. <laughs> I had to, dude, he dropped his dog off up at the kennel. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And for those of you that don't know, we live up on the Schaefer's property uh-huh. at the dog kennel up there and stuff. And so, which is a completely crazy other story. Uh-huh. But um, he was dropping his dog off and I uh, had to thank him because looking back at it now, 
it was like something that I just expected versus what I earned. Mm. And, uh, it was, I, I was such a baby, like in my attitude, I felt like, like I would throw these, basically these tantrums (laughs) because he wouldn't move me over to the truck (laughs) and he would, you know, Tony with the stone face and he would just sit there and look at me like, (laughs) you child. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was so great. But looking back at it, it was probably one of the best things because I had, I had come up through with the hotshot crew and everything. I had come up through the, everything is earned right? You earn your spot. You don't, you're not just given your spot as a lead Pulaski or as on the Sasquatch, especially on the Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. Those were kind of these coveted positions, right? You earn that shit. But yet here I was on the engine expecting to be moved over. And I had, it was just this big dose of reality of like, and it really put me back into like, fuck, he's right. He's a hundred percent right. I need to earn this respect I need to earn this spot versus just be like, oh, there's a vacancy. We're going to move you over. Yeah. You know, and the other thing was, is he needed a permanent driver kind of deal, you know, because, you know, we, I was his driver for, I don't know, three years, three, well, four or five years or something like Mm -hmm. that. But, um, I knew what he wanted. He knew what I needed, you know, and we were really good. And so there was that mix of, give and take yeah. he would move me over every once in a while to give me a little taste of like what but, was it what was it a what do you think it was that he thought you weren't like ready for or what what about, i don't know if that was fair i guess of me to say that i wasn't ready or just yeah whatever maturity i think mm-hmm. i probably because he would i think maturity wise you know i think i had still something to prove to earn his trust and respect and not only him, but at the station, you know, I mean, I was only there at that time, probably two, three years, yeah. maybe. And, you know, he's still getting to know me. And, and, and Tony was a very, even though he was on the captain shift, he was one of the, you know, mm. the boss. A leader. Yeah. He was a, he is a fantastic leader. Yeah. And what Tony says, Tony goes, mm. right. That's, and it's like, there's no question. And I really enjoy that. Yeah. Like, Okay. You know, yeah. I don't have, I guess you don't have to tell me why you're making this decision. And I think that was the part that it would fucking just throw me into a tizzy. It was like, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> yeah. but I look at it now and it's like, oh shit, my maturity just really probably wasn't there. Right. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting, like looking back on those moments, we've all had them and where somebody that's detached, you know, from the situation, yeah. like, well, I'm going to do what's best for the crew today and not what's best for well, your personal goals. That's valid, right? And I think yeah. that was the big part of it was that, you know, if there's a vacancy on the truck and there's a senior guy that rides the truck, that's assigned to the truck, why would he move me over when this person absolutely knows this rig that's been on this rig for 20 years? Yeah. Put them on the rig. Yeah. And it, it became this weird, which I don't know why it happened, but, and it still happens to this day. That like it's just expected that the on shift guy moves over. Okay, I can see that sometimes, mm-hmm. but sometimes the operational consideration should be absolutely number one. And Tony recognized that, and I didn't. I didn't understand that at the time. Mm-hmm. I I see it now. And I yeah. when I saw him at the uh, when he dropped his dog off, I absolutely had to thank him and you know apologize and thank him. And I understand it's like operational consideration is the number one thing that I feel like this bureau falls down on. Not just bureau, but individual stations, individual officers, 
basic considerations, right? Because we are all driver trained. Doesn't mean we can all drive. You know, you may have gotten, I may have gotten tiller certified 20 years ago, but I have, but I've ridden an engine my whole entire career. And all yeah. of a sudden you're going to go have me tiller truck three. Like, no, that yeah. doesn't make sense. Right. You have guys that ride the irons that can't force a door. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. That's not good operational consideration. And yeah. I think that absolutely gets neglected. And Tony was, is very good at seeing through that and being like, no, yeah, this guy is really good at his craft. At, or whatever. Right. And he's riding the truck today and you're on the engine. Yeah. And I can't thank him enough for that because yeah. it's the problem is though, is it's, um, it doesn't sit well today for a lot of places. <laughs> right. Well, it's a tough deal. I mean, it forces people to f- try and figure out where their blind spots are. Like what is yeah. this person seeing that I'm not? Yeah. And there is, you know, some of that I think stems from this idea that Trucks are better than engines, right? <laughs> right? Know, I, to some I don't, degree, yeah. yeah. Uh, and but I think that for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because there's fewer of them. So you know, I don't, I don't totally understand it, but I certainly know, I know that feeling because it's it's unspoken almost from the first day you walk through the door that yeah. like the goal is to get on a truck, and only the the high performing members are on a truck. And if you want to be somebody, you got to be on the truck. And then you get to, then you ride truck eight. You're like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> like what in the hell is but, happening? <laughs> but there is, there's that element, I think, which creates this, a weird sense of competition, but. Well, and there's this, uh, almost like a, the Tony Baldwin's aren't really there anymore. I feel like to tell people no, which is unfortunate. That kind of puts people in a weird spot. Yeah. You know, I've had a n- number of occasions and arguments with people at the station. Yeah. And it comes across as, oh, you're just arrogant. You demand mm-hmm. that you should think you should be on the truck all the time. And it's like, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is you have a person that's never ridden the truck is here on one shift every once in a while. Yeah. And that you have two 20 year guys riding the engine that are assigned to that rig. Maybe you should move yeah. one of them over to allow the, at least so you can balance out that experience Yeah. instead of having three brand new people on a rig. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that is mind boggling. And, um, but yet I come across as the bad guy mm-hmm. or as an arrogant, selfish, and it's not that at all. Cause I don't care if I get moved over or not. Like, I, that's not my point of this argument. Yeah. It was, you are absolutely not taking into consideration the operational considerations of this city or the civilians that we're serving. So what... And wh- I struggle with that. Yeah. Why does that... Why do you think that message gets missed? I think it's because it's easier to tell people yes than no, right? They don't want to see the temper tantrum like I threw, <laughs> right? <laughs> Tony would eat it and just be like, yeah, sorry, I don't give a shit, you know? But other people, I think it's easier to say yes than it is to tell people nope you're moving over you know yeah or that they're not you'll you'll get your time yeah right you'll get your time you haven't earned that spot you haven't earned this yet yeah i don't know i I, it's weird it's weird it's very foreign to me and that's where i i struggle Mm -hmm. a lot with the staffing yeah so where i mean i guess my question is why do you think that message is being lost on the people that you're talking to 
Like if you, or do you think that they have a different set of priorities or it's just a disagreement of concepts? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what their side, their reasoning would be yeah. I, other than, well, they need to get experience at some time. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know what? I don't want you to gain experience on my emergency, mm-hmm. right? When my wife is pinned in a car or my child is stuck in a back bedroom. I don't want them to be, yes, they'll get that experience, but I also know, hey, these people have done a shitload of continuing education and training outside of this bureau and have been assigned on this, and maybe we shouldn't have all three young people on this rig at one time. Yeah. Just for even routes, driving, stacking up the rig, I mean, anything, which can happen, knock on wood, hopefully it never happens, but it can happen to any one of us. Yeah. But I feel like that probability drops a little bit. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I just, well, they need to do it at some point, And no, they'll be fine. I just, that's not a good enough. I'm a questioner. Of course. Like, I'm a huge questioner. And that's not a good enough answer for me is, no, oh, they'll be fine. Which I think there are situations where those people would be fine, but other things are required yeah. like because it is a good question how does somebody that doesn't typically ride the truck get on the truck and then get good at the truck and it, the answer you know it, you know it doesn't make i mean obviously it's easy to argue that it doesn't make sense to have all new members on yeah. one rig that don't understand that rig whether that's the truck or the engine correct I absolutely mean, through a through a sheer coincidence it's very rare that i ride an engine mm-hmm. i mean extremely rare that I ride the engine. And I, I frankly, it, when it does happen, which it's very rare, and I mean, I feel a little uncomfortable. Like I'm going over, I mean, I'm talking to the boss, like, hey, what do we what do we do for this stretch? What do we do for that stretch? What, you know, how do you like to game this? You know, what are we thinking about when we go here? And, you know, going over like, okay, how do I put my hands through the bulk load to get, Yeah. I, I mean, because I just don't, do it very often. And whether that's the truck or the engine, um, I think it's easy to argue that you don't want all new members on there. So, you know, a couple things missing, like, but I think there's the, with the engines, there's three other engines showing up, let's say that can help a truck. You only have two trucks, four, hopefully going inside and four going up top that, what do you call it? Like that flexibility, or that risk management, I don't think is there as much, mm-hmm. right? So I, I just, I feel like there is more of a chance of, like if you don't have a plan for flat roof commercial and you fall through that roof because you didn't sound or because they didn't know they should sound or maybe the cutter got out in front of the sounder, that's a problem, mm-hmm. right? Oh, well, we'll go out and we'll set the stick up versus like why, you know, you stretched a two and a half versus an inch and three quarter and my, my stretch went shitty, but my, my inch and three quarter went by me and they were still able to have an okay outcome. Right. That's to me, those are two different things. I just, that training, you'll get that training. I always say you'll get that training, right. But to have senior people on that truck to help with that training or to go on these calls with those individuals yes is because usually you know we'll see it all the time with the engines you know you know you'll have three brand new guys including a brand new officer on the engine okay yeah i need you to park on this fire hydrant right versus i need you to 
spot this truck. I just, I struggle with that yeah. because there are only what, 11 trucks in the city or whatever. And to me, they are basically kind of considered a specialized vehicle. I mean, I hate to say it, they carry shit that all the other rigs don't, you know, the extrication, the cribbing, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. They're expected to perform jobs that a lot of times, I, I don't know, I, I guess, I don't know. I just feel very adamant about it. And like, not everybody's on the same page with me. And so it creates this weird, I just don't understand why you would, the staffing, because to me, it's a very lapse in operational consideration, which is why we're here. Mm -hmm. And then to have like a battalion chief or something like that, approve that or not question, hey, why is it that you know, Patrick Sullivan, who's got 17 years in, why is he riding the engine when you have a two-year guy on the truck or t three two-year guys on the truck? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, I mean, uh, and without a, you know, without that ongoing in-house training, I mean, it's out of department training is, I mean, it's invaluable. It's, I think it's what's pushed, you know, the boundaries of our operations you know, farther than anything is yeah. the, the drive of individuals seeking that outside training and then yeah. bringing it back to us and spreading it and saying, well, this is what, this is a plan. What's yours. And yeah, but without, and, and that's so important. And it, I mean, without that continuing education that we talked about before for tenured members in this department, then it falls flat. I mean, people with their outside lives don't always have the opportunity to seek outside training through for whatever reasons and those reasons are numerous um but i think that's where our department fails its members by not providing no that training ongoing over time i mean it's great but as soon as you leave twos well not yeah. only not only provide it but they don't support it yes <laughs> yes right like that's the i could go on for <clears throat> days about how many times i beat my head all of us have beat our heads against the wall yeah just to try and get the bureau to pay for a class or, you can't use your turnout gear. You yeah. can't use your bottles. You can't use your mask. You can't. Yeah. Or an hour and a half of overtime. Like, hey, Jason, will you please come teach a VES class at this other station for an hour and a half? We don't I have. Just, we don't have the money. <laughs> we, we don't have the money to pay somebody an hour and a half of overtime to do yeah. a, an in like an, a drill. And for the listeners out there, Jason just sort of like threw his pen down. <laughs> He's like, oh my god. He drank a cup of battery acid. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, sorry, I kind of got off topic there. No, I apologize. Mm -hmm. It was it's, no, I appreciate that's something that's pretty mm -hmm. near and dear to me is the operational consideration. I feel honestly feel like it just gets overlooked on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, like I feel like we should have a driver position, even though we all get paid for it. We negotiated yeah. with it, but not everybody can drive. Yeah, right. Like I just mm -hmm. so, and that brings up. I guess it brings up. You know, it ties back into you know some of the concepts that we are interested in with this show is given that the department doesn't necessarily put on or support training um and that you are i mean wh what are you doing as a senior member to help some of the other guys coming up to get yeah. that experience or knowledge like how do you how do you approach that role and that responsibility yeah it's kind of interesting like i it's weird me personally it's weird for me to think that i am a senior guy at my station a senior individual um and I feel like it's a, I take that role very serious, but it's also a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, coming up with drills. We actually, uh, myself and Kevin Dolphin came up with a schedule M Monday through Sunday. We're going to start going over 
you know, we go over different topics, whether it's an engine day, a truck day, you know, we're going over RIT, we're going over search, we're going hazmat over hazmat, hazmat Sunday, <laughs> hazmat Sunday. Uh-huh. Uh, um, we take Sundays off. Yeah. So um, to help get people kind of up to speed with what is uh, industry best practice and current practices that other big cities are doing, right, that window-based searches aren't scary, you know, this is something we have to be doing on yeah. every fire or not every, but you know, you know, Where it's I mean? pretty close. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That this, not only the data shows it, that these are where the victims are found, but this is the best way to get in, to absolutely saturate this building in the shortest yeah. time period. So, um, we've created a, a training schedule for us, you know, at, on a shift anyway, but we always invite you know, newer guys to put on, Hey, what, what are you guys learning? What are you guys doing? You know, it's not just a Kevin in my show of like, or Anthony, Yeah. you know, Hey, what are you guys teaching us today? You know, something like that. Yeah. So like Giancarlo has been huge and there's some hungry guys out there like Taylor Sorg, um, Kyle Lane, Jesse Gutierrez, those guys out there at 31s, um, Justin Adams at 11s. There's a bunch. Yeah. I could continue the naming. They are hungry and they want to eat faces. And I absolutely love that mindset. Like yeah. it's never enough. I just look forward to, cause I think we have like Jesse and Kyle and, um, a bunch of those 31s guys all coming, you know, we have Travis also now mm-hmm. yeah, and they're all on the same mindset and same page as what I am, yeah. I feel like. And I think it's only going to get better and better. But uh, I think this training schedule that we've set up will definitely help. Yeah, that's awesome. So we can kind of get things going and have a plan, right? Yeah. You know, we talked about fireground pace. Mm-hmm. We talked about, and I think the anxiety, the all that stuff, you know, I think the thing that really helps is having a plan, right? Instead of figuring it out when we get there. And that's what we did. And that's when I felt all the anxiety when I was new because we didn't have a plan. I didn't have that expectation. But if you tell somebody, take this set of tools, go to the Charlie side, I'll meet you there to do, do perform these tasks. Yeah. And we're going to go inside. Okay. Their anxiety level just took a big dip because yeah. they know what to do. Right. Or if it's on a plasticized sheet, like for high rise, this is what you take. This is where you go. Yeah. Versus like, eh, we'll figure it out when we get there. Just wait for me at the back of the rig. And by that time, it's too late, mm-hmm. right? What I do a lot of times, either whether I'm tillering or driving, it's if we're having a working fire and you can see the header and stuff, you know, and everybody's kind of getting amped up. And it's like, I'll, one, I'll take a breath. But two, I'll make an offhanded comment like, oh, did you guys see that bumper sticker on that thing? You know, something to snap people out of this mm focused mindset of like adrenaline pumping yeah or say something just to kind of bring them back to this and that and i do it for myself mostly versus but it also helps the other guys kind of like get regrounded mm-hmm. versus running on this high right. of straight adrenaline and we'll in route we'll talk about okay you're gonna make sure you grab this grab this grab this to kind of help focus that attention onto task versus this whole thing. Yeah. Letting your mind run away with itself. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the things that, you know, cause we had talked about that off air yeah. a little bit beforehand yeah. that that's one thing that has really helped me over the years to kind of be able to take that breath. So I can get off the rig running 
because I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly where I'm doing unless an audible has been thrown. Oh, that's person's presenting at this window right. or, you know, we right. have these power lines down. There's a big dog in the backyard that wants to eat me. <laughs> I can't get to the Charlie side, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But um, it's, it's funny because we have a plan for EMS calls. Okay, you grab the life bag, you grab mm -hmm. the med bag. But a lot of places don't have a plan for fire calls. And it's still to that day. And I, I still think it kind of, it's getting way better. It's way, way better. Yes. But I think a lot of that comes from the single truck response days when it was this four person company has to complete all these tasks and that's it. You know, right. those are the versus now we yeah. can divide it up. And for, I mean, for those that are listening that don't know that we used to have on our fires, it was a one truck assignment. Yeah. And before that tri study came out and they wanted to take away truck companies or something, they like, all right, well, we're going to start sending two trucks on every box alarm, which means that the truck can stay intact and you can be all in for search or all out for vent. Yeah. Um, unless there's something completely wonky that happens. Yeah. But, but that really, that was a huge pivot point. In, Giant. Our, in our truck operations, which was really an unintended benefit. But um, as I understand it, it was more to justify, get the truck run numbers up and justify needing trucks for fires, but got us to where we needed to be in terms of truck response on all our yeah. fires. And operational consideration, right? Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. We're, we're here for life safety. Yeah. So do you yeah. have, like, what are things that you, like, is routine a part of, oh, like, yeah. uh, okay. I'm a uh, big, part. like, I'm a... Uh, superstitious okay so yeah like I, well you're a baseball player i'm a routine dude oh my god i used to wear the same underwear every game you know it's like <laughs> who doesn't <laughs> wait yeah i uh yeah i have a routine of just even the way i do rig checks in the morning i start at one place i do the same thing every day walk around it and i check every you know obviously check do my rig checks the exact same every single day yeah so um as far as that goes, yeah, I do that the same. There's a lot of things that I probably can't think of offhand that I do exactly the same, but I'm a pretty routine yeah. individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how about um, when you, like, if if you're operating at a fire, you're attempting, yeah. you know, you're forcing a door and it's not going yeah. your way and you feel yourself like getting extremely frustrated with this thing because it's worked every other time you've done it. I mean, yeah. is there anything you do in the moment to help, like, recenter yourself or refocus yourself to come back to the task i asked for help honestly i i kind of went through that phase of the individualism where it's i i need to get this door by myself yeah and it just has a tendency to get progressively worse um but now i think that's that maturity thing where yeah. it's like i ask for help to help get a second set of eyes hey maybe put your ads in here or maybe put your forks in here versus like just keep going in the same spot over and over yep. and over and over again. And uh, it took me a while to get there. I'm not going to lie to you because I <laughs> wanted to be yeah. that, you know, to get that door forced on my own and yeah. to not only prove to myself yep. that I can do it, which I know I can do it, but to also, you know, because they've got their responsibilities. I need to complete my task and not hinder theirs. It was always that kind of that pressure. But now I'm like, Fuck it, I need help. Yeah. Help me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hit this form. Hit me in, you know, mm -hmm. kind of deal. The other thing it does, I like that because the other thing it does too is allow you to kind of stop. Yeah. And just take a step back 
literally, and just put your get your eyes up, correct, and out, and look at it, and there, you know, maybe you'll see something that you didn't uh, see the first time that you were given it a go. Yeah, and then the solution will probably present itself. Yeah, whether the other person ends up actually getting in there or not. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's been big. It's just a. <laughs> ask for help it seems so simple yeah, yeah. there was um we talked about him last time but uh jason bresler who mm. he works in new york and he uh was a <clears throat> combat marine leader in iraq and afghanistan and he one of the he, during this interview with him he uh was asked what are the common traits of leaders that he's respected over the years that um you know what are the th- common things between them and one of the things that he mentioned was that Every leader that he respects, that he's worked for, and is operationally just dialed in every way, they are tend to be fanatical about preparation. Mm-hmm. That they take time to get things the way that they want them, because they're very uncomfortable with uncertainty, knowing that you can only prepare to a point. Yeah. But if you minimize the number of variables that you're encountered with, yeah. then your mind is open to handle the ones that may really matter, the That's variables right. that, ray, that really may matter. And in conjunction with that, understanding that while they're uncomfortable with uncertainty and do everything they can to minimize it, that they understand that uncertainty is not something that is going to stop them. It's just another challenge along the way. Yeah, and to right. embrace the uncertainty right. that like, well, 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 we've done everything that we can to handle it, like the plan. I'm going to go around the Charlie side with these tools, and I'll see, and, and I'll see you there. Yeah. But if there's a dog back there, that's okay. We'll go in this window, or we'll look yeah. for another way in. Yeah. So, um, and that's something that I hear. It's very common also is that just I put my gear oh, yeah. back on the rig the same way every single time, I and it's my, ready for fire. Every, my gear is set up exactly the same every time. Like I am very religious about that not just my gear my pack my tools so i know exactly where they are how they're going to pull out every time so it's consistent and that's all efficiency yeah right efficiency i think is what is key on the fire ground you know you talk about one guy was slower but got there at the same time versus super fast and i think it's efficiency Mm -hmm. you know if i set my gear up and somebody moves it at I can't handle it. Right? I'm just a weirdo <laughs> like that, I guess. But like, I have mentally prepared and set myself up long before the bell has even come in for the worst case scenario, right? And so a lot of people may not think in that same terms of like, I all of our writing assignments and all that stuff and the way I look at the job, I try and prepare myself for the worst case scenario and then hopefully the better outcome, right? I have this patch that says hope is not a good plan yeah. and it's not. So yeah. I try and just do exactly what you talked about is eliminate the variables. And that's all the way, the way the rig starts, the way the route is, the way your gear is set up, the way my tools are, my tools clean, are, yeah. you know, is, is there a bevel, you know, what, all this stuff that goes in long before those bells even go off. Yeah. And I am absolutely one of those people. Yeah. It probably drives my wife crazy. Cause I think I do it at home too. But. Yeah but how you do anything is how you do everything right exactly yeah. yeah so um what are i asked chris this question too sure. i'm kind of curious yeah um what's what's something that you know now hmm. that you wish that somebody had explained to you 
with like a year on the job mm. when you're coming out of station two? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there's a couple things. One is how to force doors. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is the basic, just, basic firefighting. Just how to force doors. Like, fuck. Please, show please, me how to open this door. Sake, just... Anyone? Anyone. Yeah, that and mindset. The mindset is huge. Um, and I think that's where it can be a double-edged sword, right? I wish I had the right mindset, the aggressive, um, whether it's even just asking a question instead of kind of sitting back and being shy. Um, the mindset, my mindset has evolved. I feel like for the better, it's become more sharp, this and that. But the the mindset, and when we go out and teach at the, the Truck Academy or whatever, that's the biggest thing is your mindset has got to be spot on for this right you have to be want to go on every fire in this city mm-hmm. you have to and at least because i want to but, <laughs> so therefore you have to yeah. but, but like, um that's why we're here right and if you don't mentally prepare or set your mind up for that then you're going to struggle on the fire ground right um i feel like yeah yes we'll make errors we always make nothing ever goes perfect i understand that but if you don't have a plan and the right mindset, that failure is going to come a lot quicker and be catastrophic or could be catastrophic. So back when I was new, two years, three years in, I was winging it. I didn't have the right mindset. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, this is fantastic. Another fun, day at work. Another fun great day. Yeah. I'm going to go play basketball, play some cards, yeah. maybe Halo, you know, whatever, right? Instead of like okay, what if this pin-in comes in and there's, you know, multiple people trapped or whatever it may be, whatever. My mindset, and I, I, I don't know, I can come across, I feel like, as sometimes gruff or aggressive and, and standoffish, but I think that's because when I'm at work, my mindset is focused on the job kind of deal, right? I like to have fun. Don't get me wrong. I have a great mm-hmm. time yeah. at work and this and that, but there's, I'm really focused on trying to do the very best I can for the people we serve in the most professional manner. Yeah. And, uh, so the mindset to me is huge. And yeah. I have this t-shirt that I wore and it says mindset is everything. And that's in everything, right? That's in yes. everything you do in your entire life. I feel like if you don't really want to be there, then it's, you're going to have shitty work, right? Yeah. If you don't really want to frame a house, then how good is the framing on your house going to be? Right. Yep. It's, it's like, yeah. my mindset is, can be aggressive and i don't think that's a bad thing um because i i feel like i can kind of turn it on and off but when i come to work i want to fucking eat faces yeah. and kick some ass so what are you doing to keep that part of you sharp i mean that's right now i mean we're we're well over one hundred and forty thousand calls for the city wow. i mean i don't know where you know where sevens is but yeah we're you know we're gonna hit twelve thousand at station one I'm, it's and, not easy and you don't get to do both right it's like yeah. uh, we you know a lot of people um you know look back at fdny during quote unquote the war years right yeah. the mid 60s through the early 70s yeah. and you're talking about i mean you can go on youtube and watch the bronx is burning just jobs it's absolutely outrageous i mean they're running ten thousand calls at a double company yeah and they don't go on medical calls, Yes, at least at that era, right? And they've talked about, I don't know, two-thirds of them or something were false alarms, but um, 
you don't get both, right? Because you can watch just as other documentaries about the South Bronx during the same era about um, urban plate and, you know, housing projects and the problems with tax law and all these things. And you don't get to do both. You don't get to work for Lake Oswego Fire yeah. and go on house fires every shift. Yeah. Or you don't you don't get to pick. Right. So true. with that work comes all the other stuff that goes yeah. with it. The Detroit of EMS, right? Well, absolutely. <laughs> the Detroit of EMS. Chris Kaiism right there. Yeah. And so what are you doing to keep that mindset when there's all this other stuff going on too? Well, I don't think it's easy, honestly. And I feel like that's where kind of that, a lot of that pressure of that senior firefighter comes in because commercial alarms. So come in, I still turn out yeah. everything. Right. And, and I we should, and I still have yeah. people that ridicule me mm. at my own station. I have people that tell me, Oh, don't worry about it. It's nothing. And I said, well, it's nothing until it is right. And I still <laughs> get the put like, it's, fucking crazy that's wild i still get it i still get the we don't need to do this we don't need to do that you know i do me right you don't have to do this i don't care but i'm not going to wait for you right um ems side of it it's i really try and it's hard yeah right oh god damn <laughs> we're going on joe smith again for the fourth time today yeah. kind of deal i really try and keep the groaning down. I really try not to. I really try and keep and set a good example as far as that and get on the rig yeah. and go. We're with the amount of runs that you're talking about that we're going on, there's a a real lag in just getting on the rig. Mm. Okay, I got to let me finish this real quick. Let me make sure my eggs benedict, the eggs are cooked right before I get on this rig kind of deal and I I that is a bad bad precedent. Yes. Because that will now carry over to the fire scene, I feel like, right? Well, it all we affects get, your mindset. Yeah. And yeah. It's, so we have this big, I feel like a, a pretty big problem right now that we're downshifting on EMS because we're expecting this to be a nothing call, but we're also downshifting on fires. This mental, like, hey, the dispatch will get on and say, hey, the civilian says everybody's out or somebody says everybody's out or the first arriving engine or truck company will be like, hey, I just spoke with such and such everybody's out that is such a bad bad precedent and habit because the statistics are there i've been on fires where everybody's reported out and we pulled someone out like it's it happens but for those incoming companies their mindset goes from this aggressive to oh this is a nothing deal yeah this is a nothing fire this is a, everybody's out we don't need to go in and search it we'll go to the roof instead or we'll do this instead of this completely negating their primary objective of the fire yeah right which is life safety so i really try and especially when it comes to the ems just the volume of ems that i really try and maintain that positive attitude and hey we're gonna make a difference we're gonna make a you know today's the day we're doing it Doug, and get on the rig let's go help someone you know that kind yeah. of stuff just to try and and keep that motivation there because like i said that downshifting is such a toxic thing yeah that carries over into all the calls absolutely right yeah and back into station life and yeah yeah the updates a lot of the updates are just like that from 
from dispatch and saying, oh, well, they think the fire's out. And so what's everybody do? Oh, God, you know. So, right. And it's like you roll up and there's fire blown out of a window or something. You know, it's just like yeah. we can't we can't downshift like that until right, till we at know. all, yeah. I feel like. So, yeah. I mean, that's why. I don't know. I have a couple of different examples of a commercial fire. Uh, first due truck didn't think there was extension inside, so they didn't want to force the storefront, you know, go through the lock on the, even though one of our engine company guys started to force the door. Ah, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. It's not inside. And then the truck got to the roof and cut a hole and it's inside, you know, and now it's, you're behind and you're fucking like, yeah, what? No, we could have forced the door. Yeah. Got pulled the cylinder got inside and checked for extension and would have, we now we're not behind the eight ball scrambling right mm-hmm. it's just that's yeah. just go with the plan right just stick with the plan and that but that was that mental downshift ah, ah, we don't right. need to do that yeah and it's weird because there's a sweet spot between downshifting your mind mentally so it doesn't get carried away correct you know that you're not having that like sympathetic nervous response to where you can't you can't think function. straight yeah yeah <laughs> you can't function but that you're not you're not assuming that the call is nothing either. Correct. And I think that one thing we learned from ProQA is that we just get tapped out. Yeah. And then we just show up on whatever. We don't know what it is. We have no idea what it is. Yeah. It, could, it could literally yeah. be anything. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because you would think by putting it in that terms, you would think it would have almost done the opposite of the mindset, right? Like, hmm. instead of downshifting, everybody would be like, well, shit, this came in as a breathing problem, but he's got three holes in him, you know, from being shot. Like, yeah. Fuck what? Right. You know, and so now it's like every breathing problem you'd think would be like, oh, we're gonna go up and give you something crazy. Yeah, you know, it's on. No. It's on. But I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think that's how people work. I think yeah. people just get used to. I mean, obviously, I mean, look at the way some people, some of these places we go into. Oh, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable what people get used to, but especially when you don't have an experience that get, kicks you out of that mindset. Yeah, you know, and I think that that's primarily the we can do a much better job of of owning the possibilities of this job as opposed to assuming that it's not going to happen today. Yeah. And um yeah, the mindset like I just can't talk more enough about which I know Mike Sheridan will talk about all the mental stuff and I just it's just such a game changer. I feel like that if you're in the right mindset when you come to work when those tones go off. Yeah. It's well, and we're largely yeah. ignoring it. I mean, Correct. we don't, Robbie Hendricks is doing a firefighter survival, you know, piece at station two, but you know, until he started doing that, nobody got it. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> once you're out in the companies, when are you getting it? Yeah. It's up to you to go out into the world and try and figure out what's out there so you can train, retrain yourself. Mm. And, yeah. and it's, and it's just totally ignored. I mean, it, our doctrine sort of assumes that human behavior will be consistent given a set of circumstances and a set of tools. Yeah. And I mean, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth that we're all going to do the same thing given the same situation. So yeah, whatever. that was, you know, a lot of that was brought over, at least for me. And I know some other guys too, that, you know, like Cody brought, Cody Trustrail brought a lot of that, right? Yes. With the Brothers in Battle stuff, with the forcible entry curriculum, with the search documents, with all that stuff that we've now adopted, but don't want to give him, obviously, credit for whatever. <laughs> but, like, th- that mindset, he brings that. Like, he's, and so for me, that was very contagious. 
which in a positive direction. Yeah. Like when I started teaching with Brothers in Battle, it was like fucking a. This is how it's supposed to be. Like I'm on the edge of. I'm in control. But I'm also super aggressive and forceful. Sure. You know? Like because that is a fine line. Like I don't want to go into beast mode and be out of control. But I also need to get this door open. Yes. So there is some force and some aggressiveness that needs to take place, but I also need to have my mind with me so I can figure out what's behind the door. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, without knowing what you're doing, everything looks scary. Everything. Then we can't, you can't, that's why you have senior members paired up with junior members is because new people that don't know what they're looking at can't accurately assess risk. That's right. And so everything looks scary or like when uh, talking about you know, Nate at the door of that building. Like, do we go in? Dude, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, you go in. Yeah, yes, yes you go get in. in there. This is, and and then <clears throat> this is how you go in. Right. This is how you do it. Yeah. And I mean, without that, without that piece, and without the mindset, without training your mind to remain calm when things are going, when things look crazy, but yeah. they may not be. They're all enhancing your ability to assess risk in the moment. Yeah. For the best outcome. Yeah. It was interesting too. So when I went out to training, um, as a trainer, I was out there for six months in 2019 and 20 for a, a group, a class and Fook had already been out there, but long removed for after a couple of years, you know, he moved on and, you know, he had taken those writing assignments and stuff out there and they'd kind of gone away. So I reintroduced mm. them basically. And Amy Rooney was fantastic. She was just like, yes, this is what we're doing. And what it does is it allows people that not only mindset shift, but it allows them to focus on what's truly important on the fire ground, right? Instead of like, hey, are you cutting today or am I? It's like, you're the cutter, I'm the sounder. Yeah. Let me focus on where the fire is, what the, you know, and it provides, that was a big thing, even with the old way of doing the writing assignments on truck two was, they all basically piled through the front door. I mean, that's the way we all did it, right? Mm-hmm. And it was still to that extent when I was down there. And it was such a crazy, like you would have thought, for some people, the way that they reacted, you would have thought I was asking for their firstborn child or something <laughs> like, like, which it's just something different, right? It's, that's not the way we've done it. But yeah. they can't explain why we would do it the other way. So Amy was fantastic. She was just like, I had to, I, dude, it was crazy. And she was the captain at the time of the station two? Okay. It was my second day down there. Um, she calls this meeting. Okay, recruits, go outside. We need to have a meeting with all the trainers. I was like, oh, okay. You know, I moved a flashlight off the truck and put it somewhere <laughs> else to do a different compartment, but, you know, kind of deal. I moved a few things. And uh, uh, everybody sits around the kitchen table. And it was mostly the off-going shifts, so C-shift and A-shift trainers and stuff. And she was like, okay, Jason, what, uh, what are these writing assignments and stuff that you want to talk about? I completely unprepared. Out of the blue? Out of the blue. Like, and I'm less like, okay, fuck it. Here we go. It was awesome. Like just the reception of it, as far as she was like, yes, that's what we're doing. But it provides the accountability because for the recruits and, and it's a one and one. Yeah. So you have a set of recruits, you have a set of recruits, or even one recruit and one recruit. And whereas that's not what we had when I was there on truck two. And realistically, that's not what kind of they were having even 
up to the up before that, you know, until except for when Fook was there, but it kind of went away after he left. It was just such a crazy different outlook of like, what do you mean? You know, yeah. like, yes, these are your tools. This is where you go. This is what your function is. We'll meet you in the middle. And it provided that accountability. Plus it gave the recruits, I think not only a, a sense of duty, a sense of purpose. Yeah. Instead of just following around each other on the coattails, but it yeah. gave them the reason why, which I didn't have. I, I couldn't have had one of the more prouder moments when I was there. We had a seven set of fire. Uh, like I said, I was at truck two at the time and it was Steve Dana. I know Chris talks about Steve Dana and Steve, he's fantastic. He's so great. He was the officer that day. And we had our four uh, recruits in the back. No, sorry, we didn't. We had two recruits in the back. The other two were on the engine. We had gone over the riding assignments, and it was an attached garage fire. We show up second, and Steve had just started to say as we're pulling in, okay, uh, we're going to, let's just kind of sit and meet. And I said, nope. And I hit the air brake. (laughs) Like, let's go. And everybody knew exactly where they were going. Like, these are adults. These aren't, I I think that oftentimes gets overlooked. Mm -hmm. Like, these are adults. These are people with families, with kids, with roles and responsibilities in the home. They know the difference, right? It was so great because everybody jumped off that rig, grabbed their shit, and did exactly what they were supposed to do and went exactly where. And the accountability was there, and it was just like, boom. That's awesome. It was was such a... Yeah. That's kind of an off-the-track moment, but it kind of goes along. These people had... I had absolutely tried to instill this mindset into them of like, listen, I'm trusting you just like you're trusting me. This isn't a one-way deal. Yeah. You have a job. This is what I expect of you. Yes. You need to perform. Yeah. And if absolutely. you don't, then there's going to be a problem, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what, even with the the newer guys at our station, because we've had a lot of turnover, mm-hmm. I tr- really try and instill that into them too. And I know that sometimes it probably comes off as like wrong or whatever else, but it's like, no, you don't understand. I need you to perform. Yeah. If you can't do something, say it. Yep. That kind of deal, right? So coincidentally, and, I mean, the other another big characteristic that Bresler talks <laughs> about in leaders that he's admired over the years is their ability to prefer trust over control. Absolutely, I don't care how you cut a hole, just cut a hole. Yeah, right. Like it's I'm well, not going to micromanage you. You're, I mean, because that first in truck's responsibility is so critical with respect to time. Yes, as evidenced by firefighter rescue survey. That's right that you don't need to rush, but you definitely need to be efficient. And yeah. if and if the officer, like, so you're describing a situation where, you know, it's like, okay, well, everybody just take a second. I got to make sure everybody's safe. I got to make sure I know where everyone is yes. and they're right here with me and then we're going to go together and, okay, you've got those things. And that's that's through, you know, no fault of whoever that guy was, but just that was the mode because I have to keep my guy safe. Yeah. That's control. Yes. And trust is that I trust, just like you said, that you're an adult and I've given you this job and I've given you everything that you Your need tools that you to need. complete yes. the job. Yeah. Do you have any questions about this job? No, I'm good. Great. Then when that air brake is pulled, I expect you to execute the job that you've been given. That's right. And that is, I mean, how much more, I mean, how much more empowering is, mm-hmm. is that as mm-hmm. a newer member, somebody new on the job to yeah. say this this person trusts me to do this job. 
And these people in this building trust me to get them out. Yeah. And that's why we're here. Yeah. And it's you're going to rise to that occasion with the training that you've been given. Yeah, like their confidence level goes through the of roof. Course. Like, holy shit. And I know what to do. I don't have to just stand outside this building wondering like, yeah. uh, well, it looks like this commercial building's on fire. I don't even know how to get through that door. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the more um, we can do to shift our mindset more towards one of that. And uh, yeah. I mean, let me take it back. I do care how you cut a hole. <laughs> I knew as soon as you said that that you were I was like, that came out later on. So, come back to wait it. Wait a minute. I do care. Yeah. Well, you trust that the people that are given a job are going to do that job. Yeah. And if they can't, they're going to let you know and we're going to yeah. have to figure something Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But the assumption is that you're going to be able to pull it off. Yeah. Which, you know, is better for everybody. Yeah. I, yeah. Let them be, a, let them do their job. Yeah. Right. Um, Sorry, dude. I kind of got off track no. there. No, this, this is. This is all stuff that we're talking about. This is all really important stuff. So what's left? What do you, well, how long? I, you know, there is one. You know, it's interesting, too. So uh, Fook and I, you know, Chris and I, are, he's one of my best friends, ever, right? Like, not only is he my mentor, uh, senior man, he's one of my best friends. And I asked him, when he got his uh, Firefighter of the Year award, uh, well-deserved, long overdue, I feel like. I asked him, I said, hey, man, congratulations. This is well-deserved. You know, how does it feel? And he's like, it's a curse. <laughs> and I said, I, that was <laughs> not the the answer that I expected, yeah. you know? Like, I, I thought he would be like, man, I'm proud. This is great. This is crazy. Because it is a super prestigious mm-hmm. thing, right? Award. It'd be recognized by your peers at this level. And I'm like, fuck, I, I didn't really want to dive too into it, you know, because I could tell that it was eating him up, that he got this thing. And I didn't understand what he was talking about until I got it in 2019 or 20, whatever year it was. And it's weird. It's um, nobody has ever, I don't think, probably talked about the the dark side. <laughs> But you are absolutely put under the microscope. And I feel like that that comes to the senior person at the station, right? You're constantly being under the microscope and monitored, not only by your peers, but by the, you know, the junior people, by your superiors. Mm. And you're expected to perform 100% all the time and not to mess up, especially on the fire ground, right? And that's hard. That's Mm -hmm. a hard expectation to live up to. And he felt it. And I didn't get it until I didn't understand it. But like, then you start hearing like, oh, you even the firefighter of the year can't force that door. Oh, you can't do this. Oh, you can't do that. And it's weird to see the, this, the, like I said, the dark side, it's, it's, Hmm. You would think it would be something so positive and so great, and it is. But I just, for whatever reason, wanted to bring that up. Like, yeah. there's a lot of negative out there. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Not just associated around that, but like we have chiefs that call us names, like crazy. Like it's fucking crazy. Yeah. Instead of being <laughs> like positive, acting like you're on the same team. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are arrogant. You guys are YouTube cowboys. You guys are YouTube firefighters. You guys saying this shit that's poisonous. And it's such the wrong direction 
And it's such a bad impression for the young people in our bureau that, hey, I don't want to stick my head up above the herd, you mm. know, because I'm going to get it smashed down or I'm going to get called these names and I'm going to get called this stuff. And to think that, you know, we're trying, not just me, but there's a line of people that are trying to make this place better. And, you know, that's our motivation is to provide the best possible service to the individual. We're putting ourselves third. Yeah. We're putting the public first, our family second, ourselves third is so foreign and so, I, I, I guess, against the grain that it almost turns into this negative thing. And I didn't really ex- experience, well, I did experience it beforehand, but it wasn't until I got that the award that it was like, blatantly apparent that like (laughs) it and chris said it right out of the game it almost it was weird too because it almost seemed like it pushed him into a little bit of a depression like it was he was receiving that much wow negative attention negative attention and scrutiny yeah Mm. whether it's jealousy whether it's incompetent you know whatever it may be and it's just like I, i don't think that gets talked about a lot right yeah I'm the, yeah i never i would have yeah I because never it is guessed. such a positive award and yeah. but dude it's crazy when you go on these fires and guys are just talking shit about you about how you know oh you've messed up on something it's like dude, we all mess up right yeah. i'm not fucking perfect <laughs> I, 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 it's it's pretty wild and then to present these writing assignments because we're trying to get all the trucks on the same page yes we're absolutely trying to get so that way, when I work at truck 22 or truck four or wherever, I know exactly what my, yes, there are going to be some small tweaks in it. Sure. But at least I know what my expectation is. Yeah. Versus like, hey, this is what, I, if you're riding irons this day, I need you to throw the outrigger plates out on a one-story house. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. Right? <laughs> That's not what I do. I'm going to go look for people inside of that building yeah. that's on fire. <laughs> and, and it's just like, so it's weird I, for whatever reason, I wanted to bring that up because I think a lot of people don't quite understand the effect that the um, the scrutiny and the the shit talking and you think you're better than me yeah. has on individuals. Yeah, and I, I I don't bring it up much. Like I don't ever really talk about it, but yeah. it's just like it has a pretty heavy toll on people. I really, I appreciate you bringing it up. I'm, what have you, I mean, what's your approach for staying positive with it or, or like putting it in context? Well, I, I have a pretty small circle, I feel like, right? Mm-hmm. And usually, it's usually the people that aren't in my circle are the, the ones that are the biggest yeah. pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The ones most willing to criticize yeah, are the ones you don't really right? know. The ones yeah. that, you know, they're, the, they're the, the ones the quickest to point out your faults. They're the quickest ones to point out, you know, your weaknesses and stuff. And so I, it's taken me a long, I'm not going to lie to you, dude. It's taken me a long time to uh, kind of brush it aside. I used to just eat it, mm. you know, eat it and kind of, it wasn't, but it wasn't like I would eat it and it would be a motivating factor like that. Mm. math teacher you know kind of deal right i would because i am a big person i do care what people think about me yeah i do i absolutely do and i would scrutinize myself i'd be like well fuck they are right i can't 
do this and I can't do that. But it's gotten to the point now where I just, I don't listen to the, the static anymore. Yeah. Right. So it's, uh, I don't know why I brought that up. I just thought it was a, I, I was thinking about it last night at home and I just don't think that people a lot of times understand what is actually the, the impact of what's coming out of their mouths. Yeah. Or that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really true. And an offhand comment alone, you yeah. know, is not a big deal, but if you combine it with, yeah. if you're getting a whole bunch of them from yeah. a bunch of different people on a bunch of different shifts, I could see it be easy to start believing it to some degree, yeah. or at least questioning the things that you hold really important. Yeah. And they're, you know, the, oh, well, you were firefighter of the year. You've got this huge, I have no ego, zero. I have zero. I want to help everybody. Right. I want to just be a professional and do the best job I can. But there are, I, I was absolutely floored one time when a chief called me and told me that I had a big ego. I've never, ever, ever, ever in my life been told that. And it was in a casual conversation at the kitchen. Really bizarre, out of context. And it, it, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah. And I don't know why I even brought this, like I said, why I even brought this up. I just, I know I'm not alone. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah, for I, sure. I know other people have had this same struggle. And uh, it's just a, it's almost like they're eating their own. Yeah. And I yeah. hate that. I hate that. Yeah, it's kind of a function, a little bit of of bringing something. Like you said, you went to these outside classes. And you're trying yeah. to bring stuff, and there's that that dichotomy of this is some new good information against this is what we've always done. Yeah. So if someone really wants to stand on the other side, this is what we've always done, and like you said, without knowing why, they can confuse the um, intent of trying to make this a better, safer, better fire department with having an ego. But you think, oh. I know what's better. It's not like you're mm. bringing it, but you didn't make this stuff up. No. You know? So if you have someone seeing the other side and they are supposed to, you know, it's a hierarchy. They're supposed to know better because they're a chief. Correct. Yes. Which is bullshit. Yes. We're all people. We're all we're all doing the best we can, you know, and doing the best we can in the moment, like you say before. Yeah. But I think it's probably, you know, I'm not, I don't know the situation, but I suspect there's some degree of just misunderstanding, you know, where you're trying to make, do this thing, which is the right good thing, a good thing. And someone's just taking it wrong, you know? Yeah. It happens. That's human nature. It happens all the time. But it does suck when it's somebody who's supposed to be on your team. Well, right. yeah, and it does suck when you've been given this thing. Yeah. And I don't want to say put up on this pedestal and then people it can't actually, wait to fucking tell you It actually you literally is a pedestal. <laughs> I mean, you're on a picture. I mean, it's all yeah. basically, yeah, look at this. And they just can't wait to... Yeah, it's I, it's a bizarre thing. It's, it's an interesting. So, it never crossed my mind. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that either. I yeah. mean, the only thing I can relate to is hearing stories of people that have, you know, won the Medal of Honor, and it's been some of the hardest times in their life is immediately following oh, that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I've yeah, there's and I didn't understand it until I got it. Yeah, and I just am curious if maybe Chris and I and I don't mean to throw him under the bus or expose him at all, but. Right. I know it I guarantee we're not alone. Of, of yeah. course. I mean if you're feeling if you're feeling it there are other people out there that are yeah. that are feeling it. And I I think the point that you brought up is a good one because your experience and Chris's experience are all in hindsight, right? I mean everything the the award is given. Yeah, we that's didn't nominate a, ourselves. That's, well, <laughs> <laughs> 
but I, I guess I mean it's in the past. And so yeah. the, the fallout from something like that is going to be what it is. Yeah. But the point that you brought up about it dissuading people from sticking their neck out or trying mm. to move yeah. the needle or do, you know, make a difference, I guess. Yeah. Change things for the better are turned off by that effort because of how it's received by other people. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's where the real damage is done. Obviously, yeah. what you're experiencing is, you know, nobody should... No. That's, that's crazy. I mean, We no, all experience it, though, but it just didn't feel like I was... Until you... It was like, now I'm really under this microscope. Yeah, for especially sure. Especially as a, as a senior member at the station. Yeah. It's like, you have to perform 100% all the time. Yeah. And and when... The right? Con- otherwise, it's not, otherwise right. it's not worthy of that award. Yeah. Which yeah. is crazy to think about. Yeah. And well, and, and not being motivated, neither you nor Chris were motivated by recognition no, to do that. Not. And so to, to then only be recognized as if you were making that effort for that recognition. You finally arrived. Is, <laughs> right. <laughs> we, now you're done. We knew it the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It's all paid off. Yeah. That's <laughs> the wild thing that I guess people, I, I don't know. It, it yeah, Maybe it goes back to what we were saying earlier that people will criticize things in other people that they don't like about themselves. Yeah. So if they see, you know, if in terms of like, yeah, I wish yeah. that I had that drive or I yeah, wish that I had yeah. that effort and it pisses me off that somebody else puts in the time and I can't seem to get it together. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if somebody could figure that out, I think you would, you know, that'd be some, that in itself would be worthy of yeah. <laughs> some giant right. award. Like I said, but, I didn't mean to bring this <laughs> podcast down, but it was just a, something that I wanted to bring up and talk about as far as like, I think that's what helps sharpen and keep me sharp is maybe, you know, at the beginning it was hurtful, but now it's like, dude, now these, it's kind of motivating to me Yeah. of like, yeah, because it is pushing me to create new drills. It is pushing me. Right, you know, to perform the best I can. We well, are living up to the expectations Trying. that those people have for you in a good way. Yeah, and that's the same thing that you know Fook talked about that too. He's like, sometimes it's tough. Sometimes I I want to do anything but set a good example. Yeah, but I know that it's important because these guys are watching and you are influencing people whether you intend to or not. You you could have every intention not to influence. Yeah, <laughs> other people, but. Even that is a form of influence. He's saying like, "Hey, I don't, it's not my job to yeah. to right. to you know have anything to do with how you're going to behave." Right. That also is sending a message that, oh, well, when you get this much time on, or you've been around this long, or you've seen this many things, then your privilege is that you don't have to be involved with newer guys. And that's, I, yeah. in my in my impression, it's that's anything but true. That your responsibilities your responsibilities and your role only increase as you get more time on the job because I agree. I yeah. there was a, so the other day I was talking to somebody at once and we were, we were talking about like how we got to the point where we have this elevator OG in this elevator video or whatever. And, um, kind of like how we got here. And he, and he was saying that like, wow, it must've been really frustrating when, you know, it kept, um, when you were bringing this up and it wasn't going anywhere. And for me, it was kind of like, well, yes and no. I mean, yes, it's frustrating, but in addition, it's if you, if something is true, if something is right or true and you feel it to be right or true, and I don't mean like in a, I know and you don't, and so I'm going to force this down your throat, but just that something is like 
in the case of elevator operations, like it is obviously better yeah. <laughs> to not go to the whole, like for these reasons, um, then just being trusting in the process that like this will out itself, like this eventually will become part of it because it's true. And even if it, the effort that you're making just moves the needle, it pushes the ball down the field, Yeah. then that's, that's fine. You've yeah. done your part. This whole, like all of our rigs, our equipment, our funding, the four-person staffing, that is all because of the generations of firefighters that have come before us. Yeah. And the, the leadership that they set for us and saying, like, this is important. We're going to yep. keep going. We're going to keep going. So even if it's not, um, even if it doesn't become an operational guideline in your time, you know that you have moved the needle that much closer to where we need to be. And at the beginning, that's the hardest part. I mean, when you're talking about a small group of people that are like just starting to scratch the surface of what truck operations in the city could be, that's the hardest time. It's easy when there's momentum, but it's building that momentum. That's the tough part. And and we're still uphill. We're still going uphill right now. There is no momentum. (laughs) I mean, there is momentum. Don't get me wrong. But like we are still in this. The snowball is small. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. But once it starts rolling, I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's much that may stop it because it's because it's true even if it's not the exact form that it is in right now it's still better to show up yeah at a fire with a plan yeah we joke because we say well the fire department is in five years will be what i want it is now (laughs) you know kind of deal like yeah right we should have fucking three squads rolling in this city you know just based on the geography of the city we should have you know it's like it's it's crazy yeah now contrast that with what all the old timers told you when you got on the job. Like, ah, I should have been here 10 years ago. This place was right. burning down. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. 100%. Yeah. But it's an effort that we get to contribute to for a short period of time. The, yeah. And, and, that, it, and yeah. it's up to us to decide how influential or how important that effort is going to be. And that goes along with what we talked about a little bit beforehand off air was, you know, we're only here for a short window. Nobody's going to remember you nope. the day after you retire. Yeah. Right? Yep. No matter. But... There are things that you can set in place, like we're trying to do right now, or that other people have done before us, that will carry on for generations. And yeah. I think that's the legacy—not your name, but it's the, the the legacy of the tactics and the skills that that you keep in motion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know. It's an interesting place. <laughs> it's an interesting career. Yeah. So we're. What sevens till you die? I'll be ride or die sevens. <laughs> yeah, I say that now, but uh, yeah, I'm probably I don't plan on going really anywhere. Yeah, I don't know. We I kind of fondled this idea of, but it's not even a position, right? Instead of like having the training lieutenants be training lieutenants, the forty hour guys, if they were actually firefighter positions you know, go into a position like that to create yeah. these drills, to obtain structures, to do company training that way. But yeah, I, at least one firefighter yeah. on, in that group, in right. addition to the driving instructor, Correct. which yeah, Greg's a firefighter, but yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I plan on probably being out there until rescue New York rescue two comes out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I tried, I tried to get that rescue, the hazmat rig going out there on the East mm-hmm. County. Yeah. I did that big presentation with Boone and Gillespie and go forth and yeah. Fuck dude. I thought we had it like go forth called and he's like, do you guys have enough bedrooms out there? 
Mm. And I said, yep, we're ready. And he said, okay, well, we're talking, you know, we might go, don't get your hopes up, <laughs> right? Don't get your hope is not a good plan. Right, don't right. get your hopes up. But I got my hopes up. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll, the shop has agreed that we'll set up the compartments any way you want. We'll put some extrication gear on there. We'll do all this stuff. Because there's a lot of other cities out there that respond in their hazmat rig, yeah. right? They're just a heavy rescue, just hazmat. And uh, I was like, holy <laughs> smoke. This is what? Yeah. And then nothing. Never heard of anything. And then never a phone call. And then she never <laughs> called me again. <laughs> never heard anything again. It's like, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that was a, it was an exciting time there for a little bit. Yeah. For sure. Well, does that get us up to speed? I think so. I mean, yeah. I mean, do you have any... I'm trying to think if there's anything else that... I don't know. I think the Bureau is absolutely moving in a positive direction, like training-wise, technically. Like these recruits that are coming out of the academy and out of twos are way more technically sound than what I ever was. And they don't have the experience, per se, but they're yeah they know how to force doors they know how to cut cars they're ready for they are they are ready for their day one fire yeah Yeah. that's that's a true story and i um something that really stuck out for me uh in this last round of the truck ops academy when you were given the the intro briefing in july which was talk about eat faces (laughs) i wish i could have been in the front of the room to see their looks in their eyes when they were getting this briefing it was it was awesome. I had a similar experience at TAC when Bob Lemon cut his leg with the Cirque oh, yeah. and he was detailed to TAC for a short period of time. Uh-huh. He gave us a Braveheart speech um, at the end of a test. I don't even think he knew he was at TAC, uh, <laughs> but it was awesome. <clears throat> but anyway, you're given this briefing, and, and it really stuck out to me because here's a guy that's been, you know, you've got 20 years on the job at this point, and you've been slogging it out at sevens for a long time and you told all these brand new hires first of all congratulations but then second that there has been there's no better time to be a portland firefighter than right now that's right there has been no better time and i don't know that that message is widely shared i think it's true i do yeah i think it's true i think there's other things that make that feeling complicated Mm. but I, I don't think that there's ever been a better time. If, if this is your first day on the job, this is an incredible time to be a firefighter. We are getting more fires than yep. we ever have before. Ever. Yep. We are, I mean, real fires. We are going on car wrecks, and we are no better prepared mentally and physically, tactically, to face those challenges. That's right. With those new recruits. The challenge is for them to integrate with Gen Pop and then to get... <laughs> the guys from my generation up to speed. Yeah. But yeah. Um, we had a little mental performance training in there, and we're going to be completely unstoppable. I agree. Um, it is hard watching the city melt around us. I grew up here, so that's been tough. I mean, Andy Clark mentioned that a couple of years ago. He said, you know, I'm of two minds. I said, like, we're getting to do more than I've ever gotten to do. So as a firefighter, I'm absolutely loving every yeah. second of it. But I'm mourning the loss of the city that I grew up in. Yeah. And I thought that was that was a great way to put it. But I think it's a small window too, because the city's eventually probably going to turn around, right? Of I course, it will. of course. And so a yeah. lot of this stuff is like, it's a window. It's a window. Yeah. And it's like you have to take advantage of that window. Absolutely. And so that was um, that was something that was 
I mean, I'll, that stuck with me big time. Mm. And I think it's emblematic of your personality yeah, and the approach that you've that. taken to your work and the training. And, um, yeah, and it's been, oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's fun. I, like, man, I wish I just knew then what I don't know now, I guess, right? But yeah, of course. how you get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just by when we all like at that. the door by the secret <laughs> guy that doesn't know how to force the door either. It's like, <laughs> uh, oh, fuck. Anything, Kyle? No, I've been great. I'm good. Thanks. Okay, awesome. You're, you're a ruminator, so you'll. Oh, I'm gonna be back. I'll get back to you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll come back to next, that next podcast. Perfect. Yeah, thank Thanks. you guys. This has been fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me.